Hello, world, and welcome to another fun, fun episode of Here's a Guy. Uh, this is Alex, coming to you from St. Louis. I'm joined by my two usual co-hosts, the first of which is Cody. Cody, uh, coming to us from Illinois, how are you? Good, good. Um, just enjoying the last gasps of winter in central Illinois, where it was uh, dropped a bunch of snow on us and was, like, freezing 20 degree cold weather this weekend and then uh, now it's like 60 degrees out so i i've got uh seasonal whiplash but uh you know what i'm I, I i'm just happy it doesn't suck outside right now that's really i've learned to count my blessings uh we also have jack john coming to us from indianapolis jack john how are you I'm doing good. I kind of feel the same way about Cody. Like, I, I opened up, like, I didn't open up my windows, but I opened up my blinds today to let, like, some actual heat get inside my house today, and that just felt fucking amazing uh, for the first time in, well, like, a week and a half. But for the first time in what feels like forever. Uh, I also got to celebrate my son's fucking first birthday this past weekend, which was really cool. Uh, Is that what you uh, put out on the flyers for your for your family gathering? My son's fucking first birthday party? Uh, his goddamn first fucking shit ass fucking birthday. Holy fucking shit, motherfuckers! Um, God, could you be more from <laughs> Indiana? <laughs> uh, y'all better come. Um, and make sure uh you bring uh sodas, not pops. If you say pop, fuck you. Yeah, your I, son's I uh. This is this is the point we should mention that uh, Jack John's son is actually a, a delicious pork tenderloin sandwich. <laughs> uh. He's he's the kind of pork tenderloin sandwich where it's the entire pork tenderloin is uh, served you in a pizza box, and the <laughs> bun and the uh, extra condiments are just on a side plate. Surprised being... as as Indianapolis as you are, I'm surprised you didn't name him pork tenderloin sandwich. <laughs> it, it was on the short list. Uh, Laura Laura had some objections. She uh, was afraid I would do the Cronus and eat him. So, <laughs> which is fair, totally fair. Now, Jack, being an Indiana resident also spending part of your life in Eastern Illinois. Um, I figure if any of us would have, it would be you. Have you had one of that particular type of pork tenderloin sandwiches before? And is it good? Uh, so one of my favorite places in Indianapolis does serve the pork tenderloin in a pizza box. It's, it's good, but you have to, you have to go into it. Know what you're like, you've got to know what you're doing with a pork tenderloin sandwich in Indiana, because like you can't just eat it like it's, like it's a sandwich you're a monster you've got to like cut it out and like make like seven different sandwiches out of it yeah so sand- it's 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 a, it's, it's, it's a just impractical way to order eight sandwiches and they they only give you like one bun in yeah some of these that i've seen so it's just a bun in the so the sandwich part of it is really more of a joke than anything else yeah. you're it... just ordering 20 pounds of pork tenderloin and one bun that makes it kind of funny it like is... that seems to be the only function yeah it is bring your own bun at a lot of these places, uh, which uh, you don't you don't know unless you're a local kind of thing. But uh, yeah, congratulations on uh, raising JT for a year. Uh, I owe Alex fifty bucks. I, I frankly <laughs> thought that uh, something would have happened by now, but uh, I mean, apparently not. Words words still out on if he's feral. Uh, we don't know if we've officially kicked those accusations quite out the door yet. He still might be. He's um, alive, oh, though. He's a wolf baby. Thing, <laughs> yeah. he's, he's alive, yes. My my wife and I, Laura, we, we went out uh, this past weekend. We got a babysitter and celebrated keeping him alive for a year. So we might <laughs> we might keep that tradition going a couple years. Do you have one of those uh, days since last accident stickers <laughs> on a, your wall? It's just always set to zero, man. 
You're like, yeah, you're like Adolf Sachs's parents. It's just fun. <laughs> um, I do like that interpretation, though, that a birthday is really a celebration of the parents for yeah. keeping this thing going for another yeah. year. He, if, if it You've was up to part. him, if it was up to him, he would have eaten the couch and like seven remotes. I don't think he would have made it a year on his own. This this was all us. Your baby um, Nif- uh, Niffler from uh, yes. Futurama Miami or Nibbler. When, when I put him down this night, he went, dip, 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 and then he ate an entire <laughs> spaceship. So yeah, I know that tracks. His first words are going to be in Frank Welker's uh, glorious <laughs> baritone. Um, so how how is JT taking the first birthday? Is he having any existential dread yet? He, I've, I've been trying to set expectations uh, that he's never going to own anything in his life. Uh, that that's that's, that's going to be a distant commodity by the time he's 10. So really, Just really like, hammer it in now. You're gonna be, you're gonna be a poor, you're gonna be a poor just like your pa, and you never get used to it now. We we listen to Spanish love songs on the way to daycare, uh, so we're we're really hammering it in on. I uh, that that reminds me though of uh, one of my favorite jokes by the legendary comedian Stephen Wright. Uh, he said, when I was a baby, I, I had an existential crisis because I realized that uh, going from one year, turning from one to two years old, my age had doubled. <laughs> and if I keep this up, by the time I'm six, I'll be 90. That's good. Yeah, I, I've not met I've not met JT, um, but when I do meet him, I'm going to make sure he knows that it's all downhill from here. <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna walk up to him. I'm gonna look him straight in the eye. I'm gonna point. Out, I'm gonna tell him like it all gets worse from here, kid. Yeah. You're you're fucked. You understand like, this? You <laughs> you don't doomed. even have by virtue, you don't even... by virtue of being born. You're doomed. You understand that? You will you, die. You don't even have kneecaps yet, but they're already fucking hurting, man. Like you have no clue, son. <laughs> no clue. And he's like, yeah, of course, because I I don't understand the concept of clues yet. <laughs> but it, it is it is actually it really is an accomplishment keeping a toddler alive for that long because think about it toddlers despite being very you know relatively delicate creatures with like you know their bones aren't even fully done yet they really do just be running and running into shit <laughs> running around doing whatever pops into the it's it's like this thing is destined to try and kill itself and yeah. it's your yeah. It's it's Mythbusters, but with the human body every day. Yeah, it's yeah. So for um, I think I mentioned this on the show. So Sarah has a, a niece and nephew who are toddlers, and they're very very cute, and they're good kids. Um, she got them for Christmas. Cody, we had these like the little uh um, they're like little vehicles that they can drive. Oh yeah, the little uh the little trucks. Um, and her is it like the nine volt battery? Yes, like yes, fuck yes. And um, her nephew, especially, is the older one, he's uh uh, in preschool. Um, and he he was really jazzed about it and he was driving it around all over the place. And so, I think within a matter of a couple days, he attempted to drive it up a tree and just flip (laughs) it over on himself. (laughs) And that's just what toddlers do, like, they don't don't understand how anything works. We would have done. Yeah, honestly, yeah. you give I me one of those did. now, and within an hour, I'm back. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I, I I remember having one of those, and it kind of foreshadowed the rest of my life because I was the first toddler in our neighborhood to be pulled over in a nine volt battery car for road tripping. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
Sir, do you know it's illegal to ghost ride this Jeep Wrangler? <laughs> Cody immediately That's the starts, tiniest uh, beer I've ever seen. Where did you get that? <laughs> Baby Cody immediately starts uh, referencing Admiralty Law and saying that he's not being detained. Yeah. <laughs> I know my whites! His first words were, oink, oink, motherfucker. Uh, to, to quote Pookie... Uh, he went from age 11 to age 13 because baby Cody didn't fuck with 12. <laughs> um, Except in my case, it was 11 months to 13 months. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm glad you had a good weekend, Jack, John. And hopefully yeah. JT is handling this change yeah. in his life. Uh, um, to let you know how it's going, his favorite gift uh, is a hammer. <laughs> Just a hammer. Is it? Was it a toy hammer? Did one of you psychos actually get so, him a fucking hammer? <laughs> like, so for for Christmas, I got him like this like wooden block. You hit it with a hammer thing. He ended up losing that hammer. Um, it's just gone somewhere. Uh, we got him new hammers, and they they're just like wooden mallets. But he uses it as a teether, and he just likes to fucking hold it, and then he would like hit tables with it. Yeah. Uh, he's he's gonna so be a judge. <laughs> Or a psychopath. Yeah. A judge oh, or he's Calvin. I was gonna say, I don't think I don't think those are mutually exclusive. Yeah. It's prerequisite. Yeah, your kid's either gonna be a, a, a carpenter or he's gonna be one of the kids in, in my topic this week. And you better fucking hope that he's a carpenter. <laughs> yeah, Alex, I'm familiar with yours and I cannot yeah. wait. Yeah, yeah. We we have some it's not a mayhem. It's not mayhem month, but there is some mayhem tonight it, in store. Very definitely nice. some mayhem. Yes. Yeah. It's not mayhem month, but I think it's doozy day. We, yes. uh, you know, we don't do mayhem month because that's the only time of the year we do mayhem topics. Like, there's a certain amount of mayhem, uh, just kind of intrinsic to this show. Yeah. You know. <laughs> It's it's just one of those things that goes with the territory. Um, before we get to that, though, I was going to talk about my weekend because I, I did a few interesting things. Um, so to start with, on uh, Friday, our parents and then Sarah's mom came into town uh, and we went to the fabulous Fox Theater and we saw Mamma Mia. Um, we'd been planning this for a while. The first kind of kind of butt clenching moment of it was um, for like the first time all winter. We had a snowstorm that kind of popped up. Yeah, um, that was it being like way more than expected, <laughs> and it came down in a time interval that was literally impossible to avoid. Everybody just driving in it. Yeah, it started in the morning and then ended late afternoon. So if they had waited it out, they would not have made it here on time, and they would have had to like stay overnight the night before to avoid it. So everyone just had to kind of <laughs> grit their teeth and drive through it, but uh, it wound up being okay. So we avoided mm. that aspect of it. Um. But then we went to the show. Um, I wore a ridiculous but very sexy outfit, in my opinion. Um, it <laughs> was a good time. Are in. It was a good time. Um, I told you time that to French. Shoot. I told you that French maid costume was a good buy. <laughs> Always a good time at the Fox. I mean, just a beautiful theater. Mamma Mia! I really didn't know what I was going to think of it. It was a good time. Um, what I thought was interesting is that the the actors playing. The younger characters really didn't do anything for me. I mean, they were they were kind of blah. All the actors playing the older characters just stole the damn show. So the character, the woman 
portraying the mom gave a very powerful performance, I thought. Um, the guys playing the three prospective dads were all terrific. The two... The, the two raucous aunts, which is one of the great character archetypes, is the raucous aunt. Because we all know a raucous aunt. C- yeah. Cody and I, we, we both have a couple. So yeah. I was going to say, we've got three. Yeah, so. see, JT has four of those. Everyone loves <laughs> yeah. the raucous yeah, aunt. Yeah, I can see that. But they were absolutely hilarious. Um, so it was a good time. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of... I ambivalent on ABBA in general. I don't dislike ABBA. Um... So that was okay. It was a good time. Um, it got me thinking, Cody, I was trying to pinpoint exactly, you like some musicals. Um, what I was trying to I pin did. down what exactly your taste in musicals is. Because I know you have a strained relationship with cringe. You don't... Yeah. Some cringe you love, some cringe you can't stand. So where's Mamma Mia land on that? It I'll all depends on whether... It all depends on whether the cringe is like fun tongue-in-cheek cringe or if it's like trying to be genuine cringe like or or also like if you just turn the dial up to 11 like say the tv show the office which is oh yeah we talked about that i i just i can't do it um the musicals i like tend to be i mean there's some cringe incumbent in all broadway because it's just that's the nature of the thing it's yeah. it, it is camp by its very nature. Yeah. And camp normally doesn't bother me. Now, the musicals I like tend to be the darker ones, um, tonally, just because that's a little more my style. A lot of the just straight up Broadway musicals are just very very cheesy and very sappy in places. Uh you show me anything Rodgers and Hammerstein ever wrote, and I'll likely kill myself before the end of it. It's just, <laughs> it's a little too much. But say, like, uh, Phantom is a, for one thing, the music's just fantastic, but uh, I like that one. Or, like, Sweeney Todd. Um, or even Rent. I can handle Rent. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, the amount of humor in the way it's used, uh, like if you ever get a chance to see a real good production of The Producers, I would suggest you do it, because that show is fucking hysterical. One I have wanted to see for a long time, but never got the chance to, is the Evil Dead musical that somebody came up with about ten years ago. Um, yeah, so it, it just kind of depends on... The musical aspect of it is almost kind of secondary in terms of my enjoyment to, like what the tone and the overall quality of the show is. So that's kind of where I land. Well, let me ask you this. What, where, where do you land on ABBA? I don't mind ABBA. I used to, when I was uh, working on our, and I still, every once in a while, will fill in there, the FM side of our radio station, and I would uh, fill in for a show we did at midday that had a lot of, you know, 70s and 60s artists. Mm-hmm. Played a lot of ABBA. Um, I don't mind it. It's it, it's not something that I think I would ever seek out. Um, they never did anything that I would say, oh, I fucking love this song. But I've never heard ABBA and been like, okay, somebody get rid of this right now, or I'm just gonna start <laughs> punching the closest living thing to me. Um, what yeah, that being I'm kinda, said, kind of either I, or. I, you might kind of dig Mamma Mia then, because it's very, very silly. It doesn't take itself seriously whatsoever. It's kind of just about a bunch of ridiculous people being ridiculous for 
a couple hours. The only thing that would hold it back would be if you hate ABBA, because there is a lot of it. So, um, <laughs> uh, but if you don't hate ABBA... The entire point of the, of the musical is it's an ABBA Right, musical. right, so, yeah. exactly. Um, so I'm just going to run through some popular musicals. Some of these, I don't know if you've seen, but if you could just give me your thoughts on whether or not you would like seen this musical. Seen more than you think, okay. Um, uh, Chicago. Uh, seen the movie version, uh, like the jazzy style, uh, give that one a seven out of, you know, just moderate thumbs up. It's, it was fine. Didn't gotcha. love it, but it was fine. Yeah. All right. Here's an easy one. Hamilton. Uh, uh, you know, having nothing to do with the music, really, uh, fuck everyone involved in that show. Cody, Cody, uh, put the gun down. Put the gun down. <laughs> Yeah, not only is it a horrendous whitewashing of our country's history and lionizing of a bunch of shitbags, by the way, a topic we will revisit later on in this episode. That is some uh, pretty also, good foreshadowing. Actually, I, yeah. do, I don't know if we've talked about this in the show. Surely we have. I find Lin-Manuel Miranda to be one of the most annoying human beings to have ever walked the planet. He's like a human theater class. Yes. I think so, a lot of people think that, myself. Yeah, so Laura likes Hamilton, and she's like, Lin-Manuel is the worst part of it. Yeah. You should show, like her that photo, the... show that photo of Lin-Manuel taking a selfie biting his lip. Oh. And She'll never hate him more than, in, than whenever you know, she sees it. What's weird is, if I can't see him, it's okay. He did the mu- he did the music for uh, a couple different things that I've seen and thought were actually pretty good. I don't know if you guys uh, ever got around to seeing uh, Moana. Uh, I've only seen it once. It's not like it's a movie I love, but I remember enjoying it, and I was like, yeah, the music there was actually pretty good. So, and that was the name of Miranda. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, fuck Hamilton though. <laughs> All right. What about uh, what about Wicked? You know. I know several people who love that musical. And gotcha. I kind of like the the basic premise of the story. And, you know, the Oz shit I'm mildly familiar with. And, the yeah, the premise seems kind of neat to invert the story that way. But the music that I've heard from it fucking blows. <laughs> uh, it's extremely annoying. Uh, yeah, uh, I maintain that Popular is one of the most irritating songs ever composed. So I, I really don't think I'd like that one. All right, you said you like Phantom of the Opera. Um, yeah. What about, what about Les Mis? Um, I have seen the movie. It was... The movie was decent. The musical itself was pretty good. Um, the storyline, obviously, straight from Victor Hugo. So, uh, but... I will say one thing that kind of threw me is the fact that it's just constant. Sing- they almost did it more like a Gilbert and Sullivan opera mm. where it's, it's just basically constant singing. Like there's almost yeah, no that's, spoken dialogue in the whole thing. That's how the, yeah. that's how the stage production is. And I yeah. think only having, only having seen bits and pieces of the, the musical movie of it, I think <clears> it does betray how good of a stage show it is. It's a phenomenal stage show and a, a subject matter that's, that, that I really enjoy. Um, but also, and I think I mentioned this on the show before, I will vouch for the non-musical movie version that they did in the early 2000s with Liam, with Liam Neeson, Neeson. And, and yeah, Jeffrey and, Rush, was it? And, uh, uh, was it him or Jeremy Irons? I think it was Jeffrey Rush. I think um, it was Jeffrey Rush. 
But Uma Thurman was also in it, and because it was a movie of that time period, Claire Danes was in it as well. Of course, she was yeah. fucking everything for a little while. So, especially period pieces, yeah. Yes, but yeah, with the exception of, it does get a little busy. The music does because they're all just doing. It's constantly, you know, call response, melody, counter melody, and it gets a little. You know, you really have to kind of zone yourself in. But yeah, I I like it. Definitely solid. Um, what about Moulin Rouge? Uh, I have seen the movie. It is horribly depressing. Mm-hmm. The music is phenomenal, but that's because it's a jukebox musical, which I means see. it uses primarily music that has previously existed. And I don't, that knocks it down a peg in my book just because most, now the original music they did do like, uh, come what may is a great song. Uh, was pretty good, but it just kind of, you know, it, I just kind of lose a little respect when 80% of the music in your musical was written by other vastly more talented people. I see. Here's another one that I think is probably going to be pretty easy. Cats. Fuck. <laughs> is it, is I the butthole version? I have heard nothing but awful things about Cats, both the stage show and the, and the, the movie. And it's I don't think I could do Cats. I it's, just, it's there's like, nowhere. It's like one of the biggest musicals of all time. Oh, yeah. yeah. And also, from what I hear, there's a lot of, like, the performers fucking with the audience. That is, like, one of the things I hate the most in the world is when yeah. people do that. That's, like, yeah. number one, I, I just genuinely do not like to be approached, to, uh, approached and bothered by anyone <laughs> that, like, I did not explicitly invite to do that. Uh, but also, just... I'm there to watch the show, not be a part of it. Like you want to, you want you want me to make an ass out of myself. You better, you better show me at least fifty bucks by the end of this performance. Otherwise, Rumple Teaser's getting his ass kicked. I am shocked to hear that opinion from Cody, lover of hugs. <laughs> um, what about Rent? Uh, I, I saw the movie version a long time ago. It's okay. Um, it's very, again, very depressing, uh, and there's a lot of kind of niche subject matter. The music is decent. It's not mind-blowing, but it's fine. So, yeah, that's, I'm, I'm fine with Rent. Um, did you say whether or not you like West Side Story? Uh, yes, I, I do actually kind of enjoy West Side Story, uh, which is kind of surprising for me. It doesn't really check any of my normal boxes, but I, I kind of like the Romeo and Juliet parallel along with like what uh, all of the illumination it does of the social and, you know, racial and sociopolitical issues of the place and the time. Uh, you know, with the different ethnic groups and all that kind of shit. So, uh, the music is fine. Um, yeah, I, I, I enjoy West Side Story. All right, you said you like Sweeney Todd. You said you like the producers. Uh, yeah. What about Beauty and the Beast? I have only seen the Disney movie version. Um, don't think it's for me. Again, love stories don't really do much for me. The music is very early 90s Disney, which can be good. However, I think it was a little bland, if I remember correctly. Granted, I haven't heard most of these songs in a long-ass time. But, uh, yeah, I, I kind of doubt that would, that would do it for me. 
part of the hard thing is that I'm so I'm so used to the Disney version of it. I I think I would have a hard time stomaching a a, a performance of Beauty and the Beast that didn't have Jerry Orbach involved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, RIP, sir. Yes. So, um, one more. Uh, what about Hairspray? Seen the movie version. Um, one of the things that kind of sours me on that is I know someone who absolutely fucking adored that movie, who was one of the most annoying people and ultimately terrible people uh, I ever wound up knowing. So, uh, yeah, not not a fan. Um, also, the the story and the music just do not a whole hell of a lot for me. It just, you know, it's, it's very, that is bordering on a little too cheesy, uh, in that direction anyway, for me to handle. Gotcha. So there we go. That's, we, we've, I think pinned down, uh, we pinpointed Cody's tastes in musicals, more tolerant of them than you would think, but the ones that he doesn't like are probably the ones you expect him not to like. So not a lot of surprises. Did you decide to put me through this test? Because there was no mention of this up top. By the no, I had no was, fucking clue I was going to have to do yeah. this. Alex I, didn't was want like, you to, I didn't want you to prepare. Alex was like, yeah, I'm just going to talk about my weekend. Cody, <laughs> I have a list. Well, Give me all of your uh, opinions on all of these things off the top of your head. Uh, let, let's give Cody one he might, might like. What about Singing in the Rain? That's one that I always enjoy just because it's classic cinema. You know what? Actually, um, if we're going to go with musical comedies from like the 30s and 40s, because every comedy had to be a musical. Back That's then, true. Yeah. Um, you could throw in any of the Marx Brothers movies. They all yeah. had oh, musical sure. numbers. Um, you could throw in um, one of our dad's favorites, White Christmas. Hmm. Uh, you could put that on the list. Um, any of the o uh, Ocean's Eleven, all this is one of them. Any of the Rat Pack movies. Uh, some of which are very fun, some of which are awful. Uh, yeah, they're, they're, I mean, back then, a big budget comedy, it was like as not going to be uh, a musical. So there's a lot. If you want to open that door, there's a lot there. Bye Bye Birdie came later, but it, uh, Bye Bye Birdie is really good. I no. have not seen that, and that is one that, that shocks me. I've heard some of the music from it, and I've heard it's awesome. So, yeah, that's one I would... That's one I would like to see at some point. Gotcha. Well, there was one other thing for my weekend I wanted to discuss. On um, so that was Friday. On Sunday, um, we went to Sam's Club for the first time. Um, our speaking of our aunts, our aunt has a uh, big family Sam's Club account that she got us uh, set up with, and um, truly one of the most American innovations to exist <laughs> is Sam's Club. Um. You kind of feel like you're you're trapped in another dimension when you're in there, but we did find some good deals. But you you have to reconceptualize your idea of what a good deal even is. Because like, I was thinking like, well, I need some razors, and I hate having to buy them. But the size of pack you have to buy of them is like sixty bucks. So I think, but on the other hand, there's like fifty razors in there. <laughs> but then you have to think like, where the fuck am I going to put that many razors? You know what the I mean? The hard part is the storage, and do I think I'm going to live long enough to make use of this product? <laughs> like, well, yeah, am I gonna Alex live? I... Am I gonna live when in thirty paper towel rolls? That's that's way too long to know. Alex, I imagine you don't really 
get a whole hell of a lot of use out of those razors <laughs> other than like your neck. Yes, I do have so, to shave my neck every day, though. That's really where it comes in. So I can stretch them out for a while. Uh, my neck and, and the tops of my cheeks and my uh, unibrow I shave off. So, But that's, you know, pretty minor every day. Um, it's going to take but that's, you but that's 50 the, lifetimes to get through those 50 razors, <laughs> That And that's the conversations you have to have to yourself. Like, yeah. okay, I believe this is a stupendous deal. Yeah. On the other hand, if I load up on these stupendous deals, I'm spending $300. And I'll probably get use of them, but at what point does it become a hindrance? Like, they had... I, this was one I did wind up going for. <clears throat> they had, for really cheap, this two-pack of this delicious-looking, and as it turns out, delicious-tasting strawberry lemonade. But you have to buy two of them. Yeah. I'm like, am I really <laughs> justifying putting two of these fucking things in my fridge? The answer was yes, of course. But you see, in theory, what I'm talking about. Yeah. <clears throat> See, it, it my, shows the shows the difference between us because, like, my first thought was, "Oh, I bet that's great with gin." It, it would be. <laughs> it would be really good with gin. I haven't sampled it yet, but it would be. Um, well, maybe what a deal! You can get eight list. liters of gin for fourteen dollars. <laughs> oh, we didn't look at the where alcohol. The fuck can, deals, I was I, gonna say, where the fuck can you get that? <laughs> but I bet way. there there was a huge liquor section. I bet there's some good yeah. scoops in there. Um, they also had this whole. This whole like cooler section full of like uh, ready to make meals and meal kits that have, were like made in the store, um, and those are just fucking fascinating. Like there were like twice baked potatoes, um, baked mac and cheese, yeah. I... know, a bunch of sushi. What we wound up getting Sarah got for herself some uh, manicotti, which Ooh. she's oh, been I eating for the last awesome. couple of days, and I got a uh, um, a chicken street taco kit that Ooh. I've been eating the last couple hey. days. I so I grew up, I grew up with Sam's Club. the The key, the rotisserie chicken at Sam's Club, fucking slaps. They had some. That's but what I hear. Yeah, that's for that's yeah. a next time thing. Because let's, yeah. I, I may have mentioned it on the show before. One of life's great little indulgences <laughs> is is foregoing making dinner and instead getting the rotisserie chicken at the supermarket. Oh, it's yeah. so good. Anytime there's a rotisserie chicken on the table, you take that option. And you know what I found is. Sometimes you can justify buying two because you eat one for dinner and then you take the other and you make some chicken salad. That'll last you a little while. It makes meal fantastic prep. chicken salad. Yes. That's right. That is white trash meal prep. Um, <laughs> I don't but know we are, how but, white trash that is. But, but I we, mean, you just we like are cut white off trash. the leg and you just put it in Tupperware and you're like, I <laughs> made lunch. To be clear, we're white trash, all three of us. Oh, so yes. fine. yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, you, I'm you just saying I don't know that that's unique to people like us. <laughs> So it was a good experience up and up until we got into the end and we found ourselves in the fucking most uncomfortable situation. So the, ch the whole checkout situation is really odd. Everything in there is odd. Um, but like getting it set up, we had to go through this hodgepodge way to get the card set up and get me on the account. That was no problem whatsoever. That was all easy as pie. But then we go to leave and it's our first time. So we're like, okay, there's a bunch of self checkout and then there's like two checkers. And, um, but the way they have set up to do it is like all this shit's in your cart and you're buying such large quantities of stuff. It really doesn't make sense to like run it on the belt like you would at a normal store. You know what I mean? So instead the checker is like going through your cart and just scanning everything. And so you're at the mercy of them being able to keep track of everything that they scanned. And the gal we went through, we got the vibe and some later comments from other people confirmed. Like, I think she was like brand new and was this older gal. 
And um, she even told she us like, uh, <laughs> she even told us like, just heads up, I probably missed some stuff. Like, well, that's that's good. I guess we'll. Do it. <laughs> so what? Basically, so what you're you... telling me is it's okay for me to leave, though. Like, well, what you're acknowledging do, that yeah. I likely did not pay for some of this. Well, what they do is you get to the end and you show there's a second station where there's a couple of, of people there and you show them your card and then they look at your receipt and then they look at everything in your card to make sure it's all paid for. And surprise, surprise, there were a couple of things that were not paid for. So the lady gets really mad, not at us, but at the, the gal who checked us out. <laughs> we can already tell this is going to be a big fucking thing. And we're like, oh, my God, like we. <laughs> we are, we're in no hurry. We have nothing Here, to do. Today. Here's it's, fifty it's, bucks. Bye. It's, <laughs> so we go back, and when I mean that this first gal really was was lost, she was lost because the 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 woman who was who brought us back was telling her like um she was trying to just explain to her how to do it. It's like just take the receipt, go through the cart, and just scan anything that you don't see on here. Yeah. Easy enough. But she was like so wanting to go off of memory. She was going through, like, I know I scanned that, but I don't think I scanned that. And so she scanned several more things. And then we we stepped aside. So, like, we've got to go through the exit anyway. And we're going to get the runaround if this isn't right. And we look through, (laughs) and not only were there two things still not scanned, two things had been scanned twice. So we're like, okay, fuck (laughs) it. we got to go back to the customer service area. Um, Like, we didn't even attempt to go through the exit again. It's like, we just know... We we know that they're going to stop us. So we go to the customer service people. Go ahead, Jack. Uh, I have two things at the end of your story. Okay. We go and back to the customer service people. And then you saw people. Larry David, who was in the exact same situation. <laughs> and to Everybody who works at Sam's Club is completely exasperated in one way or another. I noticed this. Um, granted, like, I also get the vibe. This is the kind of place that would probably have a lot of really mean customers. So I don't blame I mean, them. It's, it's Walmart in bulk. Yes. And also, better I imagine a lot of like small business owners probably coming through there. Oh, and yeah. They're like they're like the worst people on earth. So yeah, um, we so we go up there and they they sort it out. They I I still haven't checked to see whether it actually worked, but they did something that supposedly refunded like the the thirty four dollars back to my card. And then they checked out the two other things, which wound up being almost the exact same price. <laughs> it was only on a mere technicality. The difference was like four bucks. If we could have talked them into just letting us go, <laughs> that's what I would have preferred. See, but I imagine it's going to cause problems for their is, inventorying and, and shit. This is the kind of shit that capitalism creates. <laughs> this is as good a reason yeah. as any. On one I, hand, it gives us Sam's Club. On the other hand, it gives us the problems associated with Sam's Club. Yeah, I was going to say, you could still have Sam's Club under yeah. a different... It would just work a little different. I... You know, it's been several years since I've been in a Sam's Club because we don't have one here in town. So, um, but your your point about it, everything in there being kind of weird, um, definitely rings true. It, it feels like you're stepping into a different reality, kind of. Like, it it, mm-hmm. it feels much the same as I imagine uh, how Charlie felt walking into the chocolate factory. <laughs> it's like, how does any of this work? So uh-huh. we get to the... Okay. We're, we're at the we're at the customer service desk. You're still there, Jesus. No, we're still there, and they can check us out and deal with that. But first of all, the 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 customer service lady we're dealing with is like really really unhappy with this cashier, and it's like <laughs> trying to figure out who it was. And I I, I was just gonna let it go, but she kept saying like looking at the street and like 
Alex, who's Alex? I only know one Alex who works here. He would never do something like that. And I had to stop him like, ma'am, I'm Alex. She's like, oh, you're Alex. And I'm, I'm like, I don't know who the lady was. I didn't look at her tag. And also, like, I'm not trying to get this poor woman in trouble. Like, I'm not trying to, to stir up drama between the Sam's Club employees. We just want to get out of here so that I can go to Culver's that's right across the parking lot uh, that I've been thinking about for the last two hours. But that's part of the reason why I was not grouchier than I was. I know I'm getting Culver's after this. So the day's, yeah. it's going to be a good day no matter yeah. what happens. Um, but we, she's checking us out and we have to wait for the other customer service lady to get done because only one of the computers can check you out. Um, so we go through it and we're just about goddamn done with this. But the last thing Sarah and I grabbed and we debated whether or not to grab it and ultimately we decided fuck it, yes, was this big bag of like the the circular baby bell cheeses. Cause that's like, Ooh, a, a, yeah. that's like a nice snack and that'll last a while. Yeah. We almost didn't do it, but we toss it in at the end and like, ah, oh, fuck it. It's like, it's pretty cheap. They didn't have the price tag or something to scan <laughs> on it. So they had to like pour through the system to figure out how much the baby bell cheese was. <laughs> I'm like, I'll just, I'll just quote me something. I will pay it if it gets me out of here. So finally, mercifully it ends. And we, uh, we get to we get to the end and they do let us out of out of there and I did go to Culver's and it was a good time but some absolute drama at the Sam's Club. I love the idea of like a soap opera set inside a Sam's. Now <laughs> they, they were fucking furious yeah. at this lady and I, mean, I, I get it that it, yeah. it held everything up but at the same time like I'm not I don't want anybody to get in trouble. This is like someone's yeah. grandmother. I don't yeah. want her to get fired. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, my my back two to the points. home with you, Bernice. <laughs> my two points. Uh, one, Alex, you can avoid all of that bullshit by doing the entire thing yourself. On you had to talk to zero people while you were in there. Um, so uh, next time, just know that you can use your phone to pay for it yourself and not talk to a single goddamn person. It's amazing. Well, we're, we're, just gonna feel... go the, we're just going to go through the self-checkout next time. Yeah. The only reason we didn't was because it was our first time and we were worried yeah. we'd fuck something up. But uh, as we saw, we could not have possibly fucked it up any more than it got fucked yeah. up. So. Uh, two, how does it feel to have that woman executed on your behalf? I don't feel good about it. Like I said, this was this was someone's <laughs> grandmother. Well, it's probably living they, they They old yellered the shit out of her minutes <laughs> after you left. The preferred term is euthanized. But, uh, yeah, uh, like yeah, I, there's, I, there's an old lady's blood on your hands. Just, <laughs> just know this. Like, genuinely, I did not look at the lady's tag to see what her name was either time. But if I had seen it, I would not have told any of the other people <laughs> who she was. They were so <laughs> aggro about the whole thing. There's just, like, a, a, like a, um, a shift manager with, like, a yardstick. And he's just <laughs> slapping it in his hand. He's like, was it Janice? Just it's always been fucking James. Her name might have been James. across the floor with a bat. Yeah. So that, we got out of there. Does that bat have a nail in it? Jesus. Why is it got all those thing, notches cut in it? The one thing that did make me nervous is the people behind us in the line to like get out. Um, they had just gone through that same lady's checkout and already overhood. They they seem like the not nice type of white person. Oh. Like, it, they seem like there could be some problems if they had been wronged. And I overheard the lady looking the ro- at the receipt and saying, like, I just don't understand how it's possible that the food part of it was 100 bucks. Like, oh, this is this is going to be a oh, fucking throwdown. Oh, I'm no. so glad I'm getting out of here when I am. Um, on your so, way yeah. out of town, you saw that or on that your way out of that neighborhood. You saw that woman being dangled from an overpass <laughs> by her ankles. 
as as you're leaving the parking lot, you notice that there's a tower you didn't see before, and somebody's ringing a bell and lighting a beacon at the top of it. <laughs> so that was my. Then we went to Culver's, and I got a butter burger and some custard, and all was well. So oh, fuck yeah. Culver's is so fucking good. Some cheese curds in there. Oh, the cheese curds at Culver's. Oh. Sarah got some cheese curds. I did mooch a few. It was great. But that was my weekend. And um, as much as we could go on about this, this has been taking some time. Second week in a row, we've gone a little long, but that's all right. Um, a, 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 if you thought that was mayhem, just wait and see what kind of guys we got in store this week. I think Let's Janice get to thought it. that was mayhem for sure. <laughs> um. Let's go ahead and get to it. Jack, John, could you help me out, please? Yeah, I think I remember it. It's uh, the guys. Sounded a little raspy on that one. Oh, uh, yeah, I need to clear my throat. <laughs> uh, Tom Waits over here. I'd, I'd taken like a drink right before that, and then it didn't fully clear in time. Uh, so we're, you know, 100 episodes in, I decided to change it up. Well, first up this week in our bevy of carnage is Cody. Um, Cody, who's your guy? Uh, it's another historical topic this week. Um, I am presenting my Black History Month topic. So Alex did his mm-hmm. last week. I'm going to get mine in here now. Um, and we are hopping way back in the old DeLorean for this one. Uh, back to the American Revolution, in fact. This is a story that you've likely heard as a kid in school, but probably not the details or the real significance Which is why I decided to talk about it this week. We are talking about Crispus Attucks. Crispus Attucks was a black man born into slavery in Framingham, Massachusetts in the early to mid-1730s, I believe. Or 1720s, pardon me. Uh, Remember that this is a period where record-keeping was seen as something of an unnecessary luxury. The devil. Like, you know, <laughs> like like mattresses or teeth. Uh, Christmas was the slave of one uh, Deacon William Brown. Massachusetts is a cold place to be a slave. Let me just say. Yeah. Probably and a lot of coal-related tasks. So he was born uh, into slavery under this guy, Deacon William Brown, but not for long. Uh the deacon put out flyers advertising that Crispus had escaped and that there would be a, a, a reward for his return in 1750-ish. Whether Crispus was actually still considered an escaped slave or a free man by the time our main story takes place, it's a matter of some debate and speculation. One way or another, Crispus found a home on the docks up and down the eastern seaboard. Uh, He worked as a sailor, uh, did some whaling, aboard whaling ships, Moby Dick style, uh, and also as a stevedore. A stevedore, by the way, is someone who works on the docks unloading ships. That's all it is. This is a very very cool name for a not super cool job. Way more important sounding than it needs to be. It's like two guys are sitting there like, we have the boringest fucking job. How can we spice this up? They love doing that shit back in the day. It's also why, it's also why we get fishmongers and haberdashers. Yeah. <laughs> See, I hear Stevedore, and I imagine it's a guy who does bullfights, but instead of a bull, it's like some guy named Steve. 
It's a much lower end production. Steve also has a very fine cigar collection. I was going to yeah. say, it's Steve, but in a very temperature-controlled room. <laughs> or it's, it's a temperature-controlled room just full of guys named Steve. Like, this is, this is where I keep all my Steves. Or it's the uh, commander of several ships, but also uh, his name is Steve. So instead of Commodore, it's just Stevedore. Stevedore, uh, one, one more, one more. Stevedore is when you're angry at your son, Steve, but you want to really lay in how pissed you are, so you add in a very fancy name, like Theodore, but Stevedore. Yes, my son, Stevedore. <laughs> no, his name's not Steven. Why would we give something stupid like that? Not to be confused with a Stevasaur, which is in a type of dinosaur that loved grilling in Michelob Ultra. <laughs> I think that's. I think we milked all all the all of it out of that that we can get. Ten out of ten. Golf claps all around. Uh, one drink for Steve. Yeah. So now Christmas was, for all intents and purposes, a black man as society saw it. That said, his exact ancestry is a little murky. Um, some say he was partially white. Um, most people think he was actually part Native American. This does not really matter much in practice, though. Remember, this was the 18th century, and if you looked even remotely black, congratulations, you're black. Um, boy, am I glad that's changed. <laughs> so, so I almost made a I almost made an Elizabeth Warren joke during that whole bit, and I start, <laughs> I started flogging myself. <laughs> you're not going to say it. Not to make an Elizabeth Warren joke. Well, if you hadn't flogged yourself, a bunch of uh, people with blue hair and RBG shirts on Twitter would have uh, would have done it for you. A fate worse than death. Yeah. So what some people don't realize is that the lead up to the American Revolution, it took some time. Um, it had been going on for quite a while before the war really popped off. American colonists getting pretty sick of the king across the sea, bossing them around all British-like all the time. The king actually sent troops over as early as 1768 just to kind of keep everybody in line and quell the growing unrest. As we all know, this went over like a bear trap at a glory hole, and things only escalated from there. Jesus. Speaking of carnage... Jesus. I, I didn't even know you were going to say that. <laughs> that's that's not an expression, right? You, you just made that up? It is, it is now, not. motherfucker. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I, I'm, that's one of my new new codeisms I'm trying to make a, make a popular thing. That's um, what's going to happen if you don't sub to the Patreon. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm going to have to come up with a new threat for this week now. Thank you. Um... In 1770, in Boston, things finally boiled over, as they are prone to do in Boston. Things boil over there a lot. Yeah. Riots, <laughs> clam chowder, you know, shit like that. Fucking hilarious, right? The bar's crowded. It's fucking hilarious. <laughs> Either, if you know that reference, you get it. I'm not going to say the other thing he says. <laughs> On March 5th, of uh, 1770, a British soldier ran into some trouble at, of all things, a wig shop. Okay. 
That's one detail that most people don't know about this event is that it started like a fucking Monty Python sketch. Um, so this is back in the, the 1770s. Everything was also a tavern. Yeah. <laughs> so like the guy who owned, he was a wig maker slash innkeeper. So like yeah. they're in this guy's bar slash wig shop. <laughs> kind of like how all the buildings in our D&D uh, campaign happened to sell us beer. Yeah. So apparently a British soldier was accused by a wig maker's apprentice, which is also the name of my latest romance novel, <laughs> of not paying his bill. Now this apprentice, named Edward Garrick, was only 13. But let me tell you, this dude had some Giuseppe in him. Oh boy. I'm guessing taking orders from a guy who makes fucking wigs all day leads to some repressed anger. <laughs> in case, this kid totally wigged out. Lost his wig. Flipped his wig, yep. That almost got a walk-off out of me. <laughs> I thought about it. <laughs> it's been a while. Um, what didn't help was that Garrick despite being just 13 years old, was also allegedly drunk as shit. <laughs> I mean, when in Boston. <laughs> yeah, that town has not seen water since 1625. <laughs> Everything's beer. Beer and clam broth. A good lager. God. What do you call that shot? It's a Boston handshake. Um... So the apprentice, Edward Garrick, starts verbally abusing the soldier for allegedly not paying his wig bill. Uh, and when he, the soldier ignores this, then Edward starts, like, physically assaulting him. Like, apparently he did the, like, archer slaps thing where he's just, like, <laughs> kind of half-ass smacking him. This is one of the scenes from history that I am extremely bummed that I did not get to witness. This sounds like one of the funniest things that's ever happened. Just some 13-year-old smacking a redcoat soldier going, Give me that fucking wig money! Yeah, it's, it's the uh, the classic, like, what would a guy do with a time machine? It's this. Like having to go home and tell your wife that today you got into a fight because you uh, were accused of not paying your wig tab. And also the um, definitely very burly man and not a child beat the shit out of me. <laughs> so things started to heat up even further as some of the other soldiers started getting involved and then some of the other townspeople started getting involved. Um, just kind of bitching back and forth at one another. By the way, uh, the regiment these soldiers belonged to was called the 29th Regiment of Foot. Jesus Christ. Because they were foot soldiers, you see, and the Brits have to make everything sound like Roald Dahl wrote it. I, I mean, can the British just fucking stop for a minute? <laughs> they, they're, they're doing this on purpose. They have to know how goddamn ridiculous everything they do is. Foot? Are you fighting the fucking Ninja Turtles? Why are <laughs> you fact, like this? The fact that these goddamn people colonized half the world saying shit like that, it's so insulting. <laughs> Absolutely despicable. So, eventually, colonists started chucking snowballs and shit at the soldiers. Um, this quickly spiraled into a full-on riot. 
and a group of men, among them Christmas addicts, went up to the old state house armed with mostly like clubs and a couple of them I think were just like carrying rocks. Now, the captain of the British uh, soldiers that were gathered there said that his men were not supposed to fire on this mob unless he specifically told them to, which he did not and had no intention of doing. Mm -hmm. This guy, at least, was smart enough to figure out that, okay, plan A is de-escalate this. Yeah. Listen, men, men, if you if you fire on this crowd, it will become a significant turning point in history. <laughs> I cannot urge you more strongly enough. I, I have a feeling that this is this is a page in a book somewhere. We 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 should we should be careful. Fellas, if you do this, three dumb dudes are gonna talk about us in a format of entertainment that does not exist yet, a couple hundred years from now, and they're gonna talk about what doofuses we were. And it's just going to look really bad. Eventually. The smirch upon the crown for sure. Because we're normally so pro-Britain. Yeah. Um, <laughs> eventually, one of these redcoat privates was struck by a piece of wood. Which, according to a couple different people, was thrown by our man Christmas. Now... The soldier said, I, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, he said something, something like, damn you, fire. But I, it was basically the equivalent of, okay, motherfucker. <laughs> now you're gonna find out. The soldier got up, picked up his gun, and uh, fired into the crowd. And then the melee began. The soldiers unleashed their first volley, killing three men immediately... Chief among them was our boy, Crispus Attucks. This humble, seafaring former slave would thenceforth be known as the first casualty of the American Revolution. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, five colonists were killed in the event that is now known as the Boston Massacre. In the aftermath, when the soldiers were put on trial for murder, they began a time-honored tradition among cops accused of that particular crime. Blaming the black guy. That's right. As discussed last week, that's, that's where this always heads. The soldiers claimed that the colonists, but Attucks in particular, were the ones that incited the violence. Apparently, he was just out of control. Hey, you know that guy who isn't here right now, who can't say his side of the story? It was him. As is the usual case, the soldiers were acquitted. Um... Fun fact, uh, anybody want to guess who their defense attorney was? Um, John Adams. Jack John? Ace Phoenix, the fictional video game attorney. Alex Why do we ever ask him for an actual guess? <laughs> Why do we ever? He always you says something fucking stupid. You could have said anyone from that time period. One time I, I, asked, one time I, asked, him, one time I asked him a question like that and he said John Cena. <laughs> Fucking hell. Was I right? Yeah, you were right. It was John Adams. Yeah. Okay. No, wh why guess when he's right? <laughs> um, in the years. Serious since, educational show, goddammit. Like half of the founding fathers were lawyers. It could have been a bunch of them. Yeah. Um, in the years since, Crispus Attucks has been held up as a martyr of sorts. He was buried along the other colonists killed in the massacre as a hero. 
uh, in a prominent cemetery in Boston, in a spot where, uh, interestingly enough, black people uh, historically were not allowed to be buried. They used to segregate cemeteries pretty hard, and he was in like a place of honor, front and center in the cemetery. So, so that's yeah. what it took for him to finally get some equal treatment is uh, getting blown to bits by a guy in a powdered. Yeah, room. after you're dead, they're a lot more uh, willing to oblige. It seems like. Mm-hmm. Um, in the years since, Crispus Attucks uh, has been kind of made a martyr. So much so that, as I mentioned earlier, children often learn about him in school. I remember reading about this guy briefly. Me too. Yep. Um, yeah, children actually learn about this guy in school, except, I assume, in Florida. Um, <laughs> I'm guessing the DeSantis-approved version of the story is that he shoplifted from a store and got what he deserved. Um, but while we definitely learned the basics of the Christmas Addicts story and his role in the Boston Massacre, there are aspects of it that, as we've talked about earlier, American education tends to kind of gloss over. Yeah. See, Crispus here is held up as a hero of early American patriotism, who believed in freeing the colonists from the British tyranny so much that he died for it. And this may be true. But rarely do any of those classroom discussions bring up the fact that this guy was born into fucking slavery. Yeah. And the government that buried him as a hero would continue to consider people like him property for another 90 years after he died. A little bit of hypocrisy there, I think. But I, I personally think that this aspect of the story is as worth talking about as any other part of it. The history books have lionized Crispus Attucks, and rightfully so. But they don't really stand back and give you the whole picture. They talk about how this guy's a hero because he died fighting against the British regime, regime because he just loved America and believed in it so much. And, you know, America and freedom and all that shit. This is at best partially true in my considered opinion. It is my general impression that Crispus, as a former slave, understood just how fucked it is to have your autonomy taken away by a bunch of assholes who thought they had the right to control your life by force because they had more power. Hmm. And even though the society he lived in didn't even show him and his people enough respect to grant them the right to decide where to live and what to do, he was willing to risk his life to express his strong opposition to their oppression. Not because America's super dope, but because it was the right thing to do. You sound a little uh, anti-patriotic there, comrade. You driving at something here? Sorry, sorry. Have we met? Am, am I on the wrong show? <laughs> I can't sorry. believe you would have this just just mere hours post President's Day. How could you? Am I on Pod Save America again? Damn it. <laughs> um, so ultimately, uh, Christmas addicts has become a symbol of courage within the black community. Many activists like to point out that the first person to die for American liberation was a black man. But unlike the whitewashed version of history that we learn, they are more than willing to point out the discrepancy between this fact and the way that black Americans have historically been treated in the many, many years since this event. 
So I guess to sum this whole segment up, my point is this. If we're going to acknowledge the contributions to society that various black Americans have made over our history, which, of course, we should, we cannot continue doing this devoid of context. If you want to talk about George Washington Carver or W.E.B. Du Bois or any other great black Americans that came after the Civil War in particular, we also have to discuss the fact that despite not being enslaved anymore, they were still doing these things in bare opposition to the fact that many, many people would have happily shot them if they saw them walking up their driveway. And I know it makes some people very uncomfortable to talk about this aspect of these stories. This is where you get the, oh, why do some people always have to make everything about race, people? But it's important and necessary to understand just how amazing some of these stories are and how much courage and strength it took to accomplish some of this stuff under such conditions and in such a society. I think that's kind of why we have a Black History Month, and frankly, mm -hmm. it's kind of shitty how much Black History Month <laughs> is watered down in mainstream discourse. Every major corporation has a Black History Month promotion. <clears throat> Uh, notice how they don't really talk about how uh, corporatized industry is a lot of what got these folks in trouble in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember that, like, the response from, like, shithead kids in our in our racist little town when learning about this was like, why, why do we mention Crispus Attucks just because he's a black guy? Why, does, why do we even need to mention his race? Like, the fact that it needs to be mentioned and the fact that you have a problem with it being mentioned are, are one and the same. They're the yeah. exact yeah. same issue. Yeah. Why, why not? You answer that for <clears throat> me first. <laughs> it's to teach little shits like you. Mm -hmm. The story of the history of black people in America is a difficult, uncomfortable, bloody, and at times heartbreaking story. That is precisely why we need to tell it in full and all just kind of keep that in mind the next time you see like an ad from fucking i don't know frito-lay or pepsico <laughs> or something about black history month you know just any of these big corporations that uh want you to think they care um just understand the fact that these corporations are owned by billionaires that uh profit off the blood sweat and tears of marginalized people still to this day so yeah, before you get sold too much, just, just kind of keep all that in mind. That ends the story of Crispus Attucks, and time now for my big question. Thought we'd take this in a little more whimsical direction, uh, because the story was a little heavy. So, my question is this. What is the most random thing? So, this, this is a riot over a wig bill. Mm-hmm. What is the most random-ass thing you can possibly imagine a riot starting over? <clears throat> I think... I think it, it, it's going to be an argument around the matter of whether um, Vanilla Ice ripped off Queen. But <laughs> instead, of be, instead of being about that as the issue itself, they're going to... It's going to start <clears throat> with them discussing it, and then they're both going to like uh, um, do their impersonations of, of what the little riff sounds like. 
and they're going to disagree about like the uh, the pitch that it needs to be in. And it's just going to turn into a fucking melee uh, dozens <laughs> dead. It's not the same. It's not the same. If only people could just stop, collaborate, and listen. <laughs> no, it's dun 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 dun, and he totally ripped it. Like, hold on, motherfucker, step back for a second. <laughs> what did you just say that it was? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what under pressures is. <laughs> All right, Jack John. Uh, for me, I'm gonna go out to to a city to like a, a city square, and. I'm going to take it a step further than most people do. People say, you know, pineapple goes on like pineapple and ham. Good pizza. Uh, pineapple should go on every pizza. And I'm going to just watch the world burn as people who are aggressive on both sides just come in like a fucking wall of death ready to kill and destroy. Uh, just the pineapple goes on all pizzas. Uh-huh. Not gonna lie, if you start being fascist about my pizza <laughs> toppings, really in any way, but especially in putting pineapple on them, uh, I yeah, I'm gonna have I'm some shit's gonna get broken is all I'm gonna say. Yeah. Um, yeah. So for me, I'm gonna say uh, it's going to start when uh, a very uh, very white couple at a Sam's Club uh, has an issue <laughs> with their uh, their their receipt and the the person at the checkout and it's just going to start a full blown riot. <laughs> um, I'll never know. Cause I walked out of there and went to Culver's. <laughs> Blissful. By white couple, uh, by white couple, you mean me and me and Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, uh, a, a white I, I woman think... and a werewolf. <laughs> I'm a, assu- no, I'm assuming it was the couple behind you that were, yeah, yeah, I, I'm assuming yeah, they were white. The way you described them made them sound very white. You are correct, Cody. In fact, you can probably picture exactly what they look like, if, if I, I guess. They, they can, look like yeah. what you think. Yeah. I, they dress I like think... how you think. They look like what you think. They just they just are. My guess is they yeah. probably uh, uh, own some kind of small business. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, a lot of, lot of riots over very unfortunate things. Yeah. All right, good uh, answers, good answers. Uh, also, as a little fun fact, uh, this is the part of your story that I knew, uh, but Christmas Attic is actually the name of an Indianapolis high school and holds a fun history that in 1995, or 1955, uh, it was the first all-black um, team to win the uh, state basketball championship. So a little somehow extra double layer there for Christmas Addicts. Very nice. We thought this nice. story couldn't get any more racist. We brought in Indiana. <laughs> We'll tie a nice little bow on the whole thing. <laughs> well, thank you for that, Cody. Um, for our second guy this week, we turn to Jack John. Jack, who's your guy? Uh, before I go into my guy this week, I do need to give a very trigger warning. Uh, my topic this week, my topic this week, covers intense claustrophobia and just an overall like hanging dread and hopelessness uh, near the end of it. Um, so if you don't like being trapped in tight and confined spaces or general dread, uh, maybe, you know, you're going to find this to be incredibly hard to get through and just about skip forward like 20 to 30 minutes. Yeah, definitely uh, don't listen to this in the shower. <laughs> if that's the case. What about Judge Dread? What do you have to think about Judge Dread? <laughs> if you like that, you might like this show. <laughs> we're going to uh... we're going to be. We're going to be stretching a bit to make light of this topic, folks. So, yeah. yeah. Hey, hang in there. I love for how some, you introduced this. Real strains. 
I love how you introduce this story like your topic is Jigsaw. <laughs> well, it, I mean, there, there's and I can I can make reference to it now. Like, there's topics in the past where I definitely should have given a trigger warning. Like, I don't know if I gave one for the di- uh, the um, Biper Dolphin. Biper Dolphin. <laughs> I don't know if I did or not, but I should have because uh, that Fuck one was fucked up. Say, which yeah. It, if if uh, if you're triggered by people getting their skeletons forcibly <laughs> removed from their flesh, if that if that's a if that's a uh, a trigger for you, then uh, yeah, you're gonna want to avoid this. <laughs> it's my one fear. Uh, but with that bit of admin out of the way, uh, this week let's take a trip out to beautiful Utah. We have not no. spent much time in Utah, I don't think. <laughs> Yeah, there's a good reason for that. I like that Alex I is categor- like, you know... <laughs> I categorically refuse to go to Utah. Alex I won't was... do it, you can't make me. Alex was like, hmm, that's interesting, we haven't gone. And just in the back, Cody's just like, mashing, like, like fists on like the air, uh, airport window. No! <laughs> uh, but this home, uh, Utah is the home to many beautiful trails, Mormons and the combination of those two, my guy, John Edward Jones. John was born in Sandy, Utah in 1983. Even his name's fucking boring. <laughs> John is, Edward Jones. Fuck it, you. It, it's the kind of name that's so vanilla you have to add the middle uh, to, to make it. Otherwise, he's John Jones, and there's a couple of those already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but growing up, John seemed to be the prototypical Utah boy. He loved adventuring outside with his dad and his brothers. He earned the rank of Eagle Scout. And to make the most out of Utah, he graduated from Brigham Young University, uh, but not before going on church mission trips to places like Ecuador with the Church of Jesus Christ and the Latter-day Saints. So he a is ma- a full-blown Mormon. With a major in mayonnaise. <laughs> uh, he is actually... Um, Doing quite well. Uh, in the year 2009, where the story our story will take place, John is actually in his second year of med school after leaving Utah, having a set site on the University of Virginia and their pediatric program. So he's actually doing well and incredibly intelligent. Uh, we joke about him being kind of like a wacky Mormon, but from all accounts of his family and his friends, John Edward Jones is a pretty great guy. He's married to his college sweetheart, Emily. They have a one-year-old kiddo and another on the way that upcoming June. And everything that's said about John is complimented by his love of everyone around him and his great, like, infectious personality. I will yeah, just I say real, this guy. real quick, brief, <laughs> brief aside, is like, I don't know. I never know how to feel when somebody tries to, like, single out LDS as, like, a uniquely kooky religion. How it... At the end of the day, really, how is it different than any other organized religion? You know what I mean? Like that's is, also true. Yeah, how is newer. their stuff really weirder that's the than, than like, it's newer? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's... Then that's like well, the same thing. I mean, take them just like anybody else. I have a a coworker who is LDS, and she's an exceedingly good person. But yeah. they also have plenty of shitheads in their religion, just like any other religion. Yeah. I mean, so. you know where we stand on this, based on any time we've ever <laughs> talked about Catholicism. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, my God. We're... Yeah, we we know it's all silly, but yeah, yeah. Anytime I anytime I think of Mormons, I just I can't help it, but I think of South Park and just dumb to dumb dumb. 
Well, the great payoff to the South Park bit is that they did that episode that was very, very mean to Mormons, but the other side of it was that it's canon in the show that Mormons are the only ones who go to heaven. (laughs) Which was an unbelievable payoff. Also, if you remember how that episode ended, it was just the Mormons calling them all out for being judgmental douchebags when they just wanted to be nice people. Yeah, Yeah, they were were the the, nice nuclear family. Anyway, let's find out what happens to this nice man, Jack. Uh, but John uh, would head back from Virginia, and he would head back home to his family in Utah over Thanksgiving holiday, aiming to catch some of that old family charm and kind of visit with everyone, you know, while they can during the holidays. And they would do just this when John and his family went out on November 24, 2009, to rekindle some of that old family dynamic. Now, remember I said that John was an Eagle Scout growing up, and he would spend countless hours outside exploring with his family. To add to this, John was also an experienced spelunker, or if someone uh, who doesn't know what that means, someone who likes to explore caves. See, that's the, that's the reverse of what we talked about earlier with, like, finding a lame occupation and giving it a cool name. Cave diving is a fucking badass occupation with a stupid name. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why yeah. they sell themselves short like that. Yeah. Yeah. Spelunker. If you're a spelunker, it sounds like you should just be licking shit off a bar floor. Like, <laughs> just the, mo- the, most, the most menial, useless shit you could just, like, somebody who is too dumb to think. Spelunker is, like, your used auto dealership's, like, hook and tagline. We'll take your junkers. We'll take your clunkers. We'll take your spelunkers. Like, they're really driving home how shit the car is. You're at Dr. Seuss Motors. <laughs> we buy the red ones. We buy the green ones. We buy the blue ones. Uh, we bought a Ford Focus. <laughs> and a used Honda Civic. And a bunch of Chevrolet Bang Bunga Bolivics. <laughs> we'll add that to the list of here's a guy business ventures. <laughs> we, we deserve to be used car salesmen. Uh, But he and his family would routinely check out many of the hundreds of caves across the state and in the area. And uh, in my preliminary research, Utah has a fuckload of caves, but an equally amount of alarming abandoned mine shafts. We won't get into those this week, but it's scary how many of those exist that are just accessible. Yeah, with, with, with like for how normal the populace of Utah is, the geography of the place is fucking terrifying. Yeah. They have a salt lake. Yes. They have salt flats. Yes. So, for their family night out, they decided to go to a cave that both offered fun, but also a challenge for the experienced members of the family. Insert what we will eventually act as our antagonist for the show... Nutty Putty Cave. Come on, man. Oh, that's disgusting. Jesus Christ. Who the hell made this thing? Yeah, who did this? Glad you asked that. Uh Before we go too deep into 2009, we need to backtrack ever so slightly. First discovered by Dale Green in the 1960s, Nutty Putty Cave was originally the much more serious Silly Putty Cave due to the rock formation's natural soft clay alongside the walls and floors. Oh, don't tell me they got copyright struck. Um, They didn't get copyright struck as much as it just, it's, uh, I'll get into it. Uh, The almost sand-like feel of the cave was due to the high temperature water creating limestone and the dark and wet underbelly of the Earth's crust, 
The cave name grew over the years, and the locals liked rhyming, so Silly Putty Cave slowly turned into Nutty Putty Cave. Uh, it was just more fun to say. It was the influence of Dr. <clears throat> Seuss Motors. <laughs> like, oh, okay? Look, man, it's Utah. I'm guessing it. it was I'm guessing it was some 13-year-old having a joke with his stupid little friends. <laughs> hey, I got an idea for what we could call it. Uh, but this deep underground cave was an instant attraction for locals, despite its challenging terrain. The entrance to the cave is a vertical drop into a narrow branching room. To the left features areas referred to as the maze, followed by the big room. And eventually, at the end of that section, the crack. Crack. Oh, just wait. Come on, dude. First, first of all, these all do sound, aside from the crack, which is just ridiculous. The, the other places, like they all sound like places where boss battles are going to happen. <laughs> it's already getting very ominous. Yeah, this this cave is really named much more whimsically than it should be. It should be should be more like severe putty cave. <laughs> Or Deadly Putty Cave. But to the right... Potentially Fatal Putty Cave. <laughs> but to the right, that's where the more fun of uh, areas inside the cave are. That's where we find first the Big Slide, which is a 45-degree literal slide of limestone that dives you deep into the cave. As well as more technical and expert sections. An incredibly narrow passageway barely big enough for a human to fit through that you must literally crawl on your hands and knees, eloquently named the birth canal, which eventually leads to a larger opening before leading to even more narrow sections, the aorta crawl. First of all, don't say that the birth canal leads to a larger opening. I don't like hearing <laughs> you say that. <laughs> and uh, you reach the anus. But this entire section on the right is what's called Vein Alley, the branches of the cave resembling the narrowness and sprawl of your circulatory system. It is and an also incredibly... a popular hangout spot for heroin addicts. <laughs> you okay? I mentioned <laughs> Alex is about to hit stop recording. <laughs> It's an exasperating topic already. We haven't <laughs> even gotten to the disturbing part yet. I mentioned the cave being a tourist hit. Well, this was to its own detriment, as with increased favor amongst the locals, creates room for people who have no idea what the fuck they're doing, an opportunity to get lost or worse inside, with growing waves of people flocking to the site with each passing decade. There's thousands of people coming to this by the 2000s every year. And one estimate was like, yeah, maybe a couple dozen people know what the fuck they're doing out of those thousands. This rocked the public in 2006 when four separate rescue called to Nutty Putty Cave rescued teenagers and young adults alike. The issue was nearly grim, but advanced techniques were able to be administered in time enough to avoid anything major. But in the wake, two things would happen. Local officials began to block off access to the entrance of the cave, ramping up its security measures and adding, uh, to the best they could, posted uh, signs warning of the dangers. They didn't outright close it, but they did basically like a, hey, we've done all we can do. Like, they just kind of put up a sign and were like, well, 
if you're, are if you're ever if you're ever going somewhere and you are greeted by an official representative of the local government who tells you from now on whatever happens to you is not my fault if yeah. you continue past this point you should just go home yeah. just just go home uh and um with the four rescuers uh rescues happening to boy scouts uh that same year uh, a section of the cave is renamed to keep up with the ever-changing times, and part of the cave is now adorned with the nickname the Scout Eater. <laughs> really got cute with that in a hurry, huh? <laughs> so John and his family think this is the perfect area to hang out for after Thanksgiving, uh, and they roll up to the site. John and his family get there around 8 p.m., and they're making it their goal that they want to reach the birth canal of the cave because that seems to be like the like flag at Everest kind of like tip in your cap, uh, uh, tip in your cap kind of thing. Again, who all is with John at this point? Um, his whole family basically goes, but his brother branches off with. Him. Okay, so he and his brother—he didn't like take children into this then. No, no, they're so John is twenty-six. Okay, good. Uh, it's also at this point that I should mention John is six foot and nearly 200 pounds. I feel the same way about spelunking that I do about crowd surfing. <clears throat> there should be, I don't mean this to be cruel, just as a matter of function. There should be a size limit to whether you should be able to do it, and that size limit should be very small. Yeah. Like, I would not feel comfortable doing either of those things. No. Yeah. You shouldn't. And, I, and I'm a thin man, but I would not feel comfortable doing any of those things. Yeah. So, um, they want to reach the Earth Canal, but what happens is when John drops down with his brother, they head to the right, knowing that this is where they need to go. And they first tackle the big slide. But see, John wasn't working off of a proper map. He knew well enough of the area, and he had been in there before, but he wasn't an expert navigator inside this very dangerous area. And he made it down the big slide, but it's kind of hard to miss a giant 45-degree slide within the first hour of your trip, so he's at least going to go to the right direction, but he can't really guide himself much further past that. Okay, of all of the places in the world where you really need to know where you're <clears throat> going... This is, like, top five. Now, there was a slight branch in the pathway, and with a waist-high hole and limestone in front of him, John knew that he was in the correct area, and he dove headfirst into the hole, inching forward, crawling on top of his arms to reach through to the other side. But John now, ran into an issue. Go ahead. I'm not especially claustrophobic. Mm -hmm. But I am large enough that any situation where I have to, like, army crawl like that, no. No, yeah. no, no, no. Um, Never I, in a million fucking years would I do that. I didn't realize I had this fear until I was at the City Museum of Lewis uh, going around, like, the catacombs there, and you, you hit one of those too tight, and you're like, oh, fuck, I am a large I human. I was literally just going to bring up the city museum. Cody, remember when you and I went, like when we were in college and as like large adults in that cavernous area, there literally were some, some 
crevices that we were too big to get through. Yeah. <laughs> it's so fucked. Yeah. Great place, it, though. Oh, awesome place. But as, as I've gotten older and larger, I realize it is not for... <laughs> um, so John <laughs> runs into an issue. John isn't at the birth canal where he thought he was inside the cave. John was crawling face first into an unknown and unmarked area with only he, an he old headlamp. Random hole. Yes, with only an old headlamp to guide him. But before John could realize this, crawling deeper and deeper into what he thought was going to become an opening, he became stuck. And to make matters worse, with how John was crawling, he's now stuck head facing downwards, nearly on top of his own head. Yeah. Ooh. Yep, that's and that's a position that there's not yeah. much you can do with. Yeah. And in order to think that he like again, like the birth canal is like this very like tight space that opens up, and he thinks he's going to like break through to that. So he begins to suck in his gut to push forward that little bit extra because he's just so close to getting to the other side that never comes. Uh-huh. Wrong idea, my friend. Yeah. You need to give up. You needed to give up a while ago. Actually. <laughs> and it's not really clear how long it took him to get like into this hole and deep down. But he is several, several feet down into this now. And he is stuck. And as blood begins pumping harder to uh, adjust to his body's new position, blood is also rushing to his head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. John calls for his brother to help. John needs immediate rescue 400 feet into the cave and 100 feet below the Earth's surface. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> they quickly call for help, but it wasn't until 12.30 a.m. that first help would arrive. By this point, John has been stuck upside down for three hours. Oh, jeez. That's not good. A rescuer by the name of Susie would be the primary responder during the first stint to help rescue with John. She would begin pulling on John, but due to the angle and how deep into the hole he was, she couldn't pull him directly out because, and I'm going to describe this physically, and we can put up an image later uh, for those who are listening, or you can just Google the image. But the way that the rocks are pinned and positioned, John's shins are literally pinned up against the rocks, and he cannot go directly out. To make this worse, John is now, due to crawling, on top of his own arm, with his other arm pinned behind him. Ah, so he's like like how they fall in Family Guy. Yes. But he's trapped in that position. Yes. Pulling at John isn't helping at all. He is physically stuck, and they need to get tools down to help get him out of this. Or a big-ass jar of olive oil. Table that thought. Really? Oh, Christ. Very intrigued about this. See, the problem is they need specialized equipment to get uh, him out of here. They've done this several times before, again in 2006. But they were doing that with, like, 16-year-old Boy Scouts. So it's going to take several hours to get all the equipment down. In the meantime, they're literally trying everything. They're trying to pour water on John to see if they can get any, like, water to pass through with friction. They literally try gallons of vegetable oil to see if that would work, but that doesn't help either to create any sort of, like, friction or lubrication. No, now he's just just, delicious. 
you're you're just making charcuterie now. Yeah. Or a nice Mormon is... bruschetta. <laughs> it takes several hours and through the night, but and they install rods into the sides of the rock and they create a pulley system because pulling a rope directly was catching on different rocks. So they had to literally like manufacture a pulley system. By 5 p.m. the next day, they had managed to move John 10 feet ah, damn. before the unthinkable happened. Uh, a, diff okay. a different rescuer was down with John at this time. But, no, one of the, no. but one of the anchors managed to snap and break out of the wall. The carabiner from that ricocheting and hitting the rescuer in the jaw and nearly like lacerating his tongue. Like that scene in There Will Be Blood? Basically, yes. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> yeah. Um, this breaking of the pulley made John fall back down 10 feet into the hole, falling on his own head. Shit. It's becoming increasingly clear that John is way too weak to go through this. He's been upside down now for 24 hours. And they're afraid, you know, if you're thinking they could just break his legs and just like, fuck it, they'll figure it out later. They're worried, and correctly so, that at this point, with how his blood flow has been going the last 24 hours, breaking his bones to, like, get him out, that resulting shock would literally kill him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because his heart has been working so <clears throat> hard for so long. Yeah. It just... Just really aren't a lot of good options. Did they ever try a very large vacuum cleaner? <laughs> uh, Just the, in the, my, my next page of notes, they uh, got a woman to put a pot on a windowsill, and he floated right out of there. <laughs> <laughs> One of Aunt B's pots. <laughs> um, sadly, though, after just over 24 hours, John and his heart would give out due to the constant strain, and he would pass away inside the tomb that he had crawled himself into. I was going to say, like, I know that they there's not really a good way for them to... Legally, there's not really a way to do it, but if there was ever a time to just put a guy out of his misery, that would probably yeah. be it. Like, if there was a problem way to do it the way game he it was laying, it. Problem is, yeah, the way he was... They just had to shoot him in the ass a bunch of times. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like it's one of those things where it's like I want to die, but how are you going to reasonably kill me in this position? Um, with the consult of the owners of the cave and his family, they did decide to do the following: they would detonate inside the cave and collapse it so that no one could go in any further. And they would even go as far as to uh, cement fill and literally like seal off the tomb and officially close Nutty Putty Cave. Yeah, all sounding like reasonable yeah. ideas. Suddenly, the 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 silly quaint name is <laughs> yeah. a lot less appealing. Yeah, uh, it's something where like I read the story and I first I and I'm going to send you guys what the diagram that I saw that drew to the story, but it's something that's just like so deeply fascinating it is how fucking wrong it went so quickly and how narrowly avoided it was many times before yeah but see this is why 
This is why cave diving is for people who know what they're doing. Because it yeah. all it takes is one just jumping into the wrong yeah. little crevice yeah. like this, and ah. suddenly... Yeah. yeah. At, at the end of it, John was in a hole that was 10 inches by 18 inches. God damn. Oh, he was Jesus. absolutely yeah. stuck. Looking at this diagram, like this, this specific crevice does seem like it was designed by Satan. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's specifically designed to trap it. Like if you told me that some sort of hell beast designed this to trap a human, yeah. I'd believe it. But also, don't fucking stick your head down in this thing. What What do you even get out of that? What yeah. What joy is there in doing this, even it, if it works? The diagram does look like one of those things where, like, if you had like one of those like old Egyptian history books. And it was like telling you like different forms of like prison and torture. This picture would fit right in. Yeah, yeah, like something out of Greek myth. Yeah, yeah. But that that is the story of Nutty Putty Cave, and specifically John Edward, a a nice quaint um, spelunker who unfortunately met the absolute worst part of the cave. Uh, and uh, a little bit of a, a downer topic, but I do want to leave you guys with with a happy ending. So my big question to the two of you. Uh, what's your favorite ice cream? <laughs> oh man, my all-time favorite. I gotta tell you, um, it's it's. God, there's several options, and I'll have a few more after this. My all-time number one favorite, though, is I think if this counts, we're gonna go with a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup Blizzard from Dairy Queen. Ooh, that's, that's my favorite solid. ice cream treat. I'm I'm gonna answer this in a few different ways. If we're talking about like my favorite basic ice cream flavor. So we're not really counting like, you know, a specialty. Um, I think consistently good. Cause like I'm a big chocolate fan, but a, a basic chocolate ice cream can be not very good, but you know, what's almost always pretty darn good. It's a strawberry ice cream. Yeah. Not bad at all. Mm. Um, now if we're talking about specialty ice creams, any kind of like, chocolate ice cream that is like insanely chocolate and has like a bunch of brownies and shit in there is going to be good. I just had one recently that we found at um um this great little uh um ice cream maker here in St. Louis Clementines that um it was a gooey butter cake ice cream. It had chunks of gooey butter cake and the base ice cream flavor was cream cheese flavored and it Ooh. was insanely good. Um but my favorite, like, Blizzard or Concrete or anything like that is is here, another St. Louis staple, Ted Trues. There's a few that are really good, but I love the All Shook Up that has uh, bananas and peanut butter cups. That's my favorite really, there as well, yeah. Really, really solid. Good answers, both of you. I, I'm either the uh, strawberry cheesecake or I love a good cookie dough bite. See, yeah, that's, yeah, that's Sarah's go-to is cookie yeah. dough. I, I take the back, so the basic flavors... Me. Well, the basic flavors, I think cookies and cream is actually my favorite. Ooh, yeah, yeah cookies and cream, really that, that was the other one I was going to say. If you get a really good cookies and cream ice cream, like, I, I don't know if they still, if it's still the same, but the one that our local, uh, our local type prairie farms used to make, it, when I was a kid, that shit went off. I mean, oh, yeah. it was so fucking good. Uh, yeah, that's, that's an all-time ice cream experience for me, too, for sure. Well, thank you for that, Jack John. Um, hopefully that dulls the existential dread <laughs> a little bit. Um, so with two topics down, we turn to me. Um, 
And this week I have a story of um, Marty Puccio Jr., a run-of-the-mill wayward slacker who started hanging out with some really bad kids. Yeah, um, so I'm familiar <laughs> with this story, and Alex is not underselling this. Reading into it, and I think I probably know how you're familiar with this story initially, because it's the same way that I was familiar with it. There's even some details that the eventual movie about the situation didn't get into that are, are, are yeah. pretty wild. But yeah, I will I've, also I've go ahead. Several times. Yeah. I will also go ahead and issue my my trigger warning up top. I there's going to be a lot of fun we're going to have at the expense of all these people involved in this. There is also some pretty uh, extreme violence. And some abuse, so um, just heads up to all of you. Um, unlike your guy, Jack John, who is heads down. Um, ah. So I, I'll my sources, there are a few different ones, but a lot of the narrative comes from articles pulling from the book that was written about this and the text of the eventual appellate court case, Puccio v. State. If that gives you any indication about where we're going here. Um, before, and I'll also mention, I was going to say... um. Cody did a Black History topic this month. I did one last week. Jack John did one the week before. This one almost works as like a reverse Black History Month topic. Because like this is, Black History Month is all about honoring um, the greatest of black culture. This story is a bit of a, a, a black eye on white people culture. There are some <laughs> yeah. crazy ass white people in this story. Um, before we get to just how out of hand this whole situation got, let's get to know Marty. And to know Marty, we must head to the wonderful state of Florida, a Ooh. surprisingly under-discussed state on this show. This is one of the most Florida stories I've ever heard. It, it really is, and we will revisit this several times. Um, <laughs> Marty grew up in an ordinary, middle-class Italian-American family. They lived in Hollywood, Florida, a suburban town on the coast between Miami and uh, Fort Lauderdale. And to add to your point, Cody, I will say it now. Yes, this entire story has the salty stench of South Florida all over it. Oh. And if I remember correctly, uh, this is a pretty affluent name. Like, a lot of these kids were rich kids, were they not? It's it's in a suburb. I don't know if these were, like, rich, rich kids. I got the vibe that maybe not, given some of the other people they hang out with. I think well, they're more like just your kind of ordinary, bored suburbanites. There, there are several... There's several maybe liberties that the, the movie, movie takes, but yeah. Yeah, maybe that's something and, the movie added in, because I remember the movie, they all had really, really nice cars, was the only, one of the only things that made me think that. Um, down the block from Marty lived his best friend, Bobby Kent. Bobby is the more famous part of this story, and to peel back the curtain a little bit, my original plan was to cover Bobby Kent as my guy, but I actually think it's more interesting with, when told with uh, Marty as the focal point. Bobby's family is a uniquely American type that we haven't really talked about. There are lots of immigrant families who come to America with doomed high hopes after being sold the false bill of goods that is the American dream. And those sorts of folks have my full sympathy. The Kents are a different, much less sympathetic type. Immigrants who lean way too hard into the assimilation part of it, even if that means uh, um, abandoning all traces of their own culture. One of the problems with that is that it can really fuck with the heads of the first generation of kids who are born in America. You're essentially ingraining a sense of shame into them about their identity. Like, this part of us we had to leave behind for our own self is what you're teaching them. And that is especially true 
when paired with overbearingly high expectations, as was the case with Bobby Kent. This is all to say, um, Bobby Kent's parents, Fred and Farah Kayam, immigrated to Florida from Iran. They changed their name to Kent to sound more American. They had Bobby, and from day one, they bestowed lofty expectations upon him. Marty and Bobby first meet each other when uh, they're in third grade, but they become best friends as teenagers. Marty was a typical underachiever. He dropped out of high school. He didn't have much in the way of future plans. Like, he just didn't have much going for him in general. But he did have Bobby, a close friend who was considered to be on the up-and-up. There were some problems, though. Both sets of parents disapproved of the friendship for different reasons. Kent's, the Kents thought that uh, Bobby was squandering his potential by spending all his time goofing around with his low-life Marty Puccio. The Puccio's concern was that they noticed a lot of the time when Marty would hang out with Bobby, he'd come back home covered in welts and bruises. Ooh. Here's what was really happening. Bobby Kent, despite being the apple of his parents' eyes, was a remarkably cruel and aggressive kid, and he would often just beat the dog shit out of our guy Marty for no reason whatsoever. Someone later compared Bobby to the Eddie Haskell of this neighborhood. Like, his parents and all the adults except the Puccios thought he was just the, this excellent kid and, and, and thought he was great. Behind the scenes, the kids knew the real truth, that he was just a complete shithead. Yeah. Um... Marty, for his part, was such a sad sack that he just took it, because the alternative was being friendless in addition to being hopeless. Oh. When Bobby wasn't beating the bejesus out of Marty, the boy's favorite activity was going to the gym. And on the surface, maybe that seems like it would be a productive use of their time. You know, it could get some of that aggression out. The other issue was that one day, they decided a fun way to spice this up would be to start abusing steroids. Um... As you may imagine, all this did was make Bobby even more aggressive and ill-tempered. Uh, the abuse got even worse. Apparently one time he just sicked his Doberman on Marty, again, for no fucking reason. Jesus. And just mauled him. Alright, so then the boys find another hobby, and for all the coverage the situation got, this is the part of the story nobody's ever really explained. Like, why they did this, because it's such a detour. But for some reason... These meatheads, Marty and Bobby, attempt a new hobby, producing and distributing gay pornography. <clears throat> um, okay. <laughs> so, for now, this... <laughs> from what I hear, there is some speculation that maybe Bobby was closeted. There's and that might uh, be Some why... good reason to think that, I'd yeah. say. And, and, you know, that also might have explained why he was such a little shit. Um, yeah. But I think the explanation for Marty, though, is that he just did it because Bobby told him to. Right. They faced two big challenges. One, neither had any experience or expertise in filmmaking of any type. Two, neither of them were at least outwardly gay, as far as we know. Like, yes, Bobby, there is that speculation. And if that's really all this was, that would explain some things. I don't think it explains everything. Because it definitely uh, one of the many, many, many reasons why homophobia is such a terrible institution is that, again, it also fucks with your head. And so Bobby's just having his head fucked with all over the place, if that's the case. That said, he is so aggressive and in-your-face about how bad of a kid he is. There's, I think there's more to it than that. But yeah, if that's the case, it may not have helped. 
Um, so they have no idea what they're doing with this, and neither one of them is particularly inclined to perform in one of these films. But they were determined to give it a shot. I, I don't know why, but they were. They, quote, coax an older man into performing for them on camera. Um, their approach to directing has some parallels to the guy who made Now You See Me. Uh, so, first of all, drink. Second of all, hear me out. Um, you know how one of the things we talk about in our review kind of consistently is how the guy who made Now You See Me, like, doesn't seem to really understand how anything works or what it actually is. Yeah. They seem to have a tenuous grasp of what pornography is. Um, like, they, they don't know what, for whatever their desire was in wanting to make this pornography, they don't really seem to grasp what people want out of it. So the end result is that they have this guy dance around in the nude and, and play with a dildo for a little bit. That's all the that's all the movie is. Um, that was Marty and Bobby's magnum opus, which they entitled Rough Boys. Oh, it's like is it? Is, all, why is it plural? On a... It sounds like sounds like there's just one dude. <laughs> it's not a terrible description of them. It just has nothing to do with this film. Like, was this planned as a franchise? Was there going to be a Rough Boys two? Oh no. The Roughening. Rough they, Boys 2, Electric Boogaloo. They go around to all the porn shops in the area trying to sell Rough Boys. Um, none of them took them up on it, citing that the video and audio quality was shit and that nothing interesting happens in it. <laughs> Which, like, the irony is that if they just filmed what they actually did every day... It would be kind of a niche audience, like them them just like going to the gym and being all macho and then and then Bobby beating the shit out of Marty. Like that's it's a pretty niche audience, but somebody might buy that. People who are into snuff films, yeah. It's like it, it would be kind of a, a weird sadomasochism thing, but there's there's probably somebody who's who's into that. Um when this failed, uh, Bobby forced Marty to start dancing part-time at a strip club, for which Bobby took a cut of the money that he earned. Um, so he's Marty... become his pimp then, essentially. Yeah, I, I was going to say, who amongst us has never has never gotten so bored that you decide to pimp out your best friend? Um, uh, so isn't that like the... college coming back, Jack John? Jesus. Is, is there a robot chicken a bit about that pimp my sister? Sister, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, this this actually, Alex, your description of that uh, video of what Bobby and Marty actually did every day, that reminds me of, that sounds like Patrick Warburton's character in Ted. Yeah. <laughs> he would have been into um, that. So Marty tried to quit, but Bobby would threaten to tell everyone. He would just, he would just say that Marty was gay. Um, <laughs> so a parallel a bit to Jonathan Wilde. You know how the, the one guy in London tried to write the expose exposing Jonathan Wilde for like being behind all crime in the city and taking advantage of the entire population. But ultimately it failed because Jonathan Wilde just published another article uh, out, outing that that guy was gay and somehow that worked <laughs> like, like, you know, even though Marty probably wasn't gay, like if that's what it took to get out of this situation, like, you, <laughs> like just another check in the, in the, in the column against both homophobia and the patriarchy. Um, evidence is really mounting that those things are no good. Um, people are saying this. In 1993, Marty's 20 years old. He starts dating a girl named Lisa Connolly. This is something you'd also think would be good for Marty. Um, it gives him someone different, and by different I mean better than 
crazy-ass Bobby Kent to spend his time with. Once again, though, we have some problems. Namely, not only did Marty stop hanging out with Bobby, but uh, Lisa Connolly turns out to be every bit as nuts as Bobby is. Oh, no. Um, she quickly takes notice of the fact that Bobby is an abusive bully to Marty pretty much constantly. And she's rightfully disturbed by this, but her ideas for how to deal with it are a bit erratic. Um, her first idea was to set Bobby up with her best friend, Allie Willis. The glaring problem with this plan unfortunately became an issue rather quickly. And I don't want to make light of this, but uh, it turns out the violent, aggressive sociopath who abuses his best friend on a daily basis was not any kinder in his treatment of poor Allie. Oh. So now... Played by the uh, wonderfully bizarre Bijou Phillips in the movie. Yes, yes. Um, So now, thanks to Lisa's intervention, Bobby is abusing two people. Um, Marty's position is becoming even trickier. Uh, For one, not only does Lisa like him, she is obsessed with him. She referred to Marty as the, quote, impossible dream, the god of the beach. Oh. Um, Lisa's rightful hatred of Bobby and her obsessive love of Marty makes it even more confusing that Lisa was also fucking Bobby on the side. (laughs) Um... This is like this is the worst group of kids of all time, and it's only going to get worse. Oh. See, now this is where the movie takes a liberty because if I remember, the mm-hmm. movie uh, says that Bobby uh, sexually assaulted her, as opposed to it being. A, but yeah, I think from what I'm read, I yeah, think well, were, I think they were just fucking. Yeah, we'll come we'll come back to this, but yeah, that that is one of the liberties it takes, and I have a few thoughts on that. But um, yes, that the movie's portrayal was not accurate. Um, Lisa then finds out she's pregnant um, and she insists that it's Marty's Um, so now Marty is dating a super crazy chick who's having what she insists is his kid and getting abused by his best friend who is also abusing his girlfriend's best friend all while simultaneously fucking both of them this is to put it lightly quite the mess for sad sack Marty Puccio in fairness, I don't think there's a good way to deal with this. Um, Move away. That's pretty much it. Go somewhere else. <laughs> well, look, we can debate the merits of that all we want, but let's all agree that ideally what you really don't want to do is escalate this whole thing even further. And do, do either of you have any idea what I'm about to say? I mean, I You know. know what podcast this is. Yeah, yeah. Um, one night Marty was hanging out with Lisa and Lisa proposes a solution. Let's kill this motherfucker. (laughs) Considering everything you've heard so far and that none of these kids seem to have a single good idea in their heads, it should come as no surprise that the first thing they do is immediately create a bunch of loose ends. Before even putting a plan into motion, Lisa starts telling all her friends about how she wants to... Uh, murder Bobby Kent. Good start. The first real step was for Lisa to call up Allie and tell her that she heard Bobby has been saying some scary shit. Um, By this point, Allie had moved away and broken things off with Bobby. Lisa tells Allie that Bobby is planning to kill her and her kid if she doesn't come back and get together with them. Now, reading between the lines, that probably, that specific thing probably wasn't true, 
But in fairness, that is the kind of thing Bobby would do. So it's not yeah. entirely far-fetched. Yeah. It's very believable, even if he had, didn't actually say that. It's a good lie if it's a lie. Yeah. And it's it's something that I would not put past Bobby to do. Right. Like, it, it seemed like the kid who's on the track to be a murderer at some point. So now Allie, the first person to have actually wisened up and walk away from this clusterfuck, has been brought back into the fold by a lie from her best friend, no less. Ugh. Lisa invites Allie over to her place to go over the plans. Allie is also right back into bad ideas mode because she brings along with her her new boyfriend, Donald Semenak, and their friend, Heather Swallers, who was, by all accounts, a crack addict. <laughs> so first of all, yes, her friends' names are Semenak and Swallers. My favorite Fucking ridiculous. Team. <laughs> by the way, uh, Semenak, played by uh, the wonderful Michael Pitt in the yes. movie. Vastly underrated actor. Second of all, I'll, I'll just reiterate, this, this is one of the most South Florida stories of all time. Now there's a crack addict involved. I, I love that this potential murder plot is just adding people in. Oh, by the way, while and, we're shouting out actors, I don't think I mentioned up top, uh, uh, Marty played by uh, R.I.P. to a phenomenal talent, uh, Brad Renfro. That's right. Um, Jack John, on that point, we aren't even done meeting all the characters. Oh. There's more to come, including my favorite character of the entire I group. I know exactly who this is, yeah. yeah. On July 13th, 1993, the gang invites Bobby to hang out with them with the intention of killing him. Bobby gets there, but before they can do anything, reality sinks in for Marty, along with Donald and Heather, and they're like, we can't do this, so they just leave. <laughs> Lisa and Allie still try to follow through. The idea was that they'd take Bobby out to a construction site so that he could fuck Allie, and while he was distracted, Lisa would shoot him. So they get out there, Allie does her part and starts fucking Bobby, but then Lisa has a change of heart and doesn't do it. Like, oh, I just can't. <laughs> like, mid-coitus. <laughs> so the attempt failed, but despite being the one who ultimately fucked it up, Lisa is undeterred and regroups everyone to come up with a new plan. <laughs> and if I'm Allie, I'm like, fuck you, I just fucked this guy <laughs> because of your stupid ass and you didn't even do it. But of course, that isn't what Allie does. Instead, Allie says, I know this guy, Derek Kaufman who says he's a hitman for the mafia. Let's talk to him. Which, yeah, nothing says mafia hitman like a guy named Derek Kaufman. Nothing says mafia hitman like a guy who tells people he's a mafia hitman. Yeah. Like, you already have a guy in your crew named Marty Puccio, and he's a fucking <laughs> loser. Derek Kaufman is not a hitman. Der Derek was a little older than Allie. I guarantee he made this up to get laid. I guarantee it. Um, so Lisa and Allie go to see Derek and ask to retain his services. And he's like, ah, geez, I totally would, but that's a quick turnaround. There's no way I could procure a gun that quickly. Again, supposed mafia hitman needs time to get a gun. That's right. This guy is the funniest character in this whole fucking thing. He's just, he's just bullshitting his way through this entire thing. Amazing. Like uh, an actual mafia hitman can get you an untraceable gun within, like, a day. They have one just sitting in their closet, usually. Yeah. <laughs> oh, here, take this one. I, I, I probably wasn't going to use it. 
Lisa and Allie then round up uh, Donald and Heather again at Lisa's house to discuss a new plan. For some reason, Lisa also drags her idiot cousin, Derek Javerko, into this. And of all the fuck-ups these people make, bringing Derek Javerko into it might be the biggest one, as we find out. So Lisa's there. The, Allie's... So I'm, I'm just picturing the Whitest Kids You Know bank heist skit where, like, they're running <laughs> down, and he's like, who's that guy? Johnny! Just bring my cousin. And what you decided to do was run screaming from half a block away, screaming, what was it? Put your hands up, Bank. <laughs> yes, that's it. So Lisa's there. Allie is there. Allie's boyfriend is there. Their crackhead friend is there. Lisa's moron cousin, who has zero stakes in this situation, is there. You know who isn't there? Our guy, Marty Puccio. Despite this whole thing ostensibly being about him, he's now found himself on the outside looking in to his own revenge plot. Marty's such a fucking sad sack. I, I just—it's staggering. That's peak, Marty. The ragtag bunch decides to go ahead and murder Bobby the following night. They also decide to bring Derek Kaufman along for assistance. Once again, a supposed mafia hitman doesn't have a gun, so instead joining the murder plot in an advisory role. <laughs> he's, he's fucking coach. hilarious he's a, he's, a, he's a chaperone they tell Marty that they made plans to kill his best friend the next day and this time they're bringing along two other people who have nothing to do with any of this and Marty's just like alright then <laughs> I guess that's I mean, that his I see, that seems to be his response to pretty much everything yeah basically also, some foreshadowing there is a point in this story where Marty, Marty finally stands up for himself, and I think you'll be interested to find out how far this has to go before that happens. So on July 14th, they all meet up and put the plan into motion. Marty calls Bobby and says to come out with us. We can race our cars, and Allie wants to fuck you again. <laughs> and, like, we're, we're... It's fortunate that Bobby's a sociopath. Otherwise, he may find it odd that everybody's being so <laughs> nice to him and offering him all this shit all of a sudden. Well, you guys always want to hang out at the construction site. <laughs> Other places. Well, on that note, Jack, they pick Bobby up at 11.30 and head to their desired location, another construction site on the edge of the Everglades. <laughs> That's what we call body-hiding territory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh... If you could just help us carry these bags of lye out of the car, we'll set up our picnic at the quarry. Come on, come on, Bobby. We're just going. We're going to pet the alligators. Bobby, I, Bobby, I don't know why you're scared. I'm the one who's got to walk back alone. <laughs> <laughs> Love that reference, Jack John. Love it. Um, that is what. That is how you do a callback, rookie podcasters out there. Um. So Allie and Heather lead Bobby off to a secluded spot. The rest of the gang creeps up behind them. The first one to strike of all people was Donald Semenak. Like, and I, I can only assume he was trying to be hero because he somehow hasn't figured out that Lisa's story about Bobby's threats weren't true. Um, but he sneaks up on Bobby and stabs him in the back of the neck with a knife. Potentially a fatal blow, which means that not only had Donald, in, Donald inserted himself into this situation, he was, as far as he knew... Maybe he may have just murdered someone single-handedly on another person's behalf. Yeah, he might have just committed first-degree murder for this whole thing. Yes. And and not not to get too nitpicky, 
but why do they need 74 other people and a gun when he could just stab him with a knife? Mistakes were made. Um, <laughs> Name them. Hold on. It didn't kill Bobby, though. It just badly hurt him. <laughs> um, Bobby's best friend, Marty Puccio, walks up to him, and Bobby begs him for help. So in that moment, the tables have turned. Bobby is no longer the bully abusing weaker people. Suddenly, he is a scared, wounded young man whose life rested in the hands of the person he'd been so cruel to for so long. Whether Marty chose to show Bobby an act of mercy Bobby had never afforded him, thereby proving himself the bigger man, or whether he chose to finally inflict the pain onto Bobby that Bobby had inflicted onto him for years, it would be a poetic ending either way. Marty stood over Bobby and chose, resoundingly, option B. He pulled out a knife and stabbed Bobby right in the gut. Ooh. Indeed, this would have been a poetic ending. Unfortunately, it turned out Bobby is the goddamn Terminator. This guy <laughs> could not be killed. It's more steroid than man. He's been stabbed in the neck and the stomach, but he's still alive and attempts to apologize profusely to Marty. <laughs> Maybe that could have worked before, but they're pretty well all in at this point. <laughs> um, so Marty keeps stabbing the shit out of Bobby. Bobby gets up and tries to run away as he's being mercilessly stabbed by Bobby and Do or by Marty and Donald. Um, the gang gives chase and just keeps slicing at him, but Bobby's still going. Marty then grabs Bobby, slits his throat, and when Bobby hit the ground, Marty bashes his head against the ground. Jesus. This still doesn't kill him. Finally, Derek Kaufman gets tired of watching this fiasco. And he's like, I'll show you who's the real fake hitman around here. <laughs> he walks up with a baseball bat and just bashes the shit out of Bobby right in the noggin. And that finally was enough to finish him off. Jesus. They lend Konecki'd him. Um, <laughs> the crew tosses Bobby's corpse into the marsh, thinking the gators would eat what was left. All right, so plotting the murder was a bit touch and go. Um, yeah. But they finally pulled it off. Now comes the final step of any murder scheme. Getting away with it. And for anyone thinking this group of South Florida nincompoops would magically be better at covering up the crime than they were planning it, you are sorely mistaken. I don't think any of you were expecting that, but just in case you were. <laughs> and to show how good they covered it up, we have nothing to talk about. Whoa. No, they all immediately start telling people that they did it. Um, the admission that unraveled it all was the ringleader herself, Lisa Connolly. She confessed what they did to her mom. Her mom calls her sister, who is the mom of the idiot cousin, Derek Javerko. <laughs> the apple apparently doesn't fall far from the tree with these two, because the, the mom's plan was to call up their brother, who had friends in the police department, and think that, you know, they'd know what to do here. And I, I love when people do that because, like, what do you think the cops are gonna say? Like, oh, let me see. You're telling me that your sister's kids say they're responsible for the death of a missing person? Maybe we'll just come over and give them a stern lecture to make sure it doesn't happen again. <laughs> no, of course they're gonna investigate it. The cops immediately correctly identify Derek Javerko as the weak link in this scheme. <laughs> Like, not only was he stupid as owl shit, he arguably contributed least to the murder itself. 
He went along for the ride, uh, probably as much out of boredom as anything else. And his only tie to this group was Lisa, and the only thing he actually contributed to was hiding the body. They send a detective after Derek. He admits everything and leads the cops to uh, uh, Bobby's body. The whole crew gets charged with various offenses related to the homicide. Nobody got off scot-free. So here's a rundown of what they all got. Uh, Heather Swellers also cooperated with the cops quite a bit and got the lightest deal of anyone, pleading guilty to second-degree murder conspiracy for seven years in prison. Um, she was released after about three years. Derek Javerko pled to second-degree murder and conspiracy and got 11 years in prison. He was released after about five years. Allie Willis was found guilty of second-degree murder and conspiracy at trial and was sentenced to 40 years in prison. Um, that, that sentence was reduced on appeal to 17 years, and she was released after about seven of those years. Lisa Connolly was found guilty of second-degree murder and a lesser conspiracy charge and got sentenced to life. Um, the sentence was reduced on appeal to 22 years. She got out after about nine years. Also, it turned out the kid was Marty's after all, so... That's, that's at least one loose end close. Um, Derek Kaufman was found guilty of first degree murder and sentenced to consecutive 25 and 30 year sentences for a total of 55 years in prison. He remains incarcerated to this day. Donald Semenak was found guilty of second degree murder and was sentenced to life with the possibility of parole. Um, parole has not happened. He's still in prison to this day as well. Finally, our boy, Marty Puccio, found guilty of first-degree murder, sentenced to death by electrocution. Jesus. So Marty gets the death sentence. It's just like, hold the fucking phone here. <laughs> yeah. This is some shit. Mm-hmm. I can, he, he says, I can take getting savagely beaten by my best friend every day of my life. I can take my best friend pimping me out and blackmailing me. I can take my girlfriend fucking my best friend while she's pregnant with my kid. And I can take being placed at the uh, center of a murder plot that wasn't my idea and that I didn't even plan. But you motherfuckers are not about to execute my ass for it while the other shitheads get prison sentences. Nuh-uh. And, and as far as, like, prison goes, like, when you think about it, Marty pretty much has lived a prison lifestyle for the yeah. last several years. Yeah. He's getting his ass beat constantly. He's getting, like coaxed into gay plots um there's just like crime happening around him constantly like prison is something that he's well adapted to by this point so marty appeals his capital sentence on the grounds that it's excessive in light of what everyone else got and perhaps the cruelest irony yet the one time he stands up for himself it actually works <laughs> um the Florida Court of Appeals agrees with him and converts his sentence to life with the possibility of parole starting at 25 years. Um, he's still there, but parole possibility is coming up, so we'll see what happens. Now, as we've referenced a couple times, here's why I know about this story. Jim Schutz wrote, a, uh, wrote about this in a best-selling true crime book in 1997. The book was optioned into a 2001 indie film called Bully. The script was written by David McKenna, the same guy behind American History X. However, he was credited under a pseudonym after asking his name to be removed from the film for unclear reasons. It was directed by Larry Clark, who also directed an even more controversial movie about teenagers, the 1995 film Kids. 
Yeah. Which is a very powerful movie that I would not recommend watching because it, no, uh, it's, it's, just, it's, it's, it's not it's a good time. Of, it's one of the least fun movies I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. So I saw Bully playing late one night on IFC as a teenager, which is where I discovered a lot of, of interesting and weird movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but more on that in a bit. <clears throat> I did like the movie. Um, it's very angsty, very indie-rific, very early 2000s. Uh, as Cody mentioned, one of these stars was Bijou Phillips, if that tells you anything about, about mm-hmm. the tone of the film. Um, reading the full story, I noticed that it did take a few liberties. Like... We've touched on this a bit. Bobby Kent was a horrible guy, so I'm not going to feel bad for him. But I think they did take it a little easier on the other kids than necessary. Like the 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 subplot that that Bobby like sexually assaulted Lisa rather than her just fucking him. Like that's completely out of whole cloth. And also the kid was Marty's, so yeah, and that they, that seems like a, a, a total fabrication. And they really. Um... They really toned down the crazy with Lisa in the movie. She was just kind of a starry-eyed, dreamy, maybe not too bright kid in the movie, uh, as opposed to like the catalyst for this whole thing, which is yeah, the, the way it really was. The second biggest villain in the story behind Bobby Kent. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I do also remember. I don't know who the actor was that they got to play Derek Javerko. I remember he was perfect as an yeah. Old. Because Derek was, was an oaf who fucked this whole thing up. Yeah, the word schlubby comes to mind. Yes, yeah. Now, with that being said, it's a pretty good watch if you like angsty art house stuff. That's like, what I liked about it, it's a little bit pretentious, but not too much. Um, but that's the story of Marty Puccio and his band of very, very rotten kids that he hung around with. Jesus. Um, so my big question to the two of you... What are some shows or movies that you first discovered by watching IFC or some other weird niche uh, channels? Um, oh, shit. Let's see. That was the first time that I saw the Harvey Keitel classic Bad Lieutenant mm. was on IFC. Um, that's the first place I saw Broken Lizards Club Dread mm-hmm. was on there. And, of course, that is what The Whitest Kids You Know moved to after its first season on Fuse. So those would be my picks. Yeah, I, I was going to mention Fuse. Part of it was because of The Whitest Kids You Know connection, but, like, I watched a ton of Fuse when we first got Dish, and, like, nobody thinks about that channel anymore. Yeah. Because that's where Whitest Kids came from. Remember Pants Off, Dance Off? What a oh, God. bizarre oh, concept that oh, yeah. was. I think the yeah, world Fuse... has collectively tried to banish that from their memories. <laughs> Fuse TV is one of those things that only made sense in the context of like 2006. There, there's yeah. no other way, kind of like super bad. There's no other way you can wrap your head around that period mm-hmm. of time. It's a little bit uncanny, but yeah, I, I, why does kids, you know, I do remember was on both those channels. What about you, Jack? Yeah. Um, for, for the IFC connection, it's definitely why does kids, when I think of that, that's the first thing that pops into my head. And really, I think the only thing I ever watched from that channel. Um, but like, it really just kind of like that entire series, as we've like mentioned pretty much in every episode, just kind of encapsulates exactly the kind of humor that we all love. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah Bully was, was one of my favorite ones that I watched. A lot of them, I couldn't even begin to tell you um, like what... 
like what they were called because it was just on like I was half asleep. I'm like they, this. I know this is going to be the weirdest thing on TV. I do remember they, watching one that. Uh, go go ahead. They would occasionally run some like stuff that won award. Like I remember the Ballad of Jack and Rose played on mm-hmm. there, which is a I never really got the hype behind that. That was. Um, they did actually one thing. Now that I think of it, they did play David Lynch movies. Um, yeah, yeah. A couple of which I I really like. Some of David Lynch's shit is. Not for me. Um, Eraserhead, can't do it. I can't do that one. Can't it's, handle it's it. It's too much. But um, too much. there was the wonderfully bizarre, ter- tremendously weird movie, uh, Nicolas Cage and Laura Dern in Wild at Heart, mm-hmm. a David Lynch film. They ran every once in a while. And my personal favorite David Lynch movie, uh, Blue Velvet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know they had Lynch stuff on there. They also had like... Um... I'm not a huge Gus Van Zant guy, but they they had some of his stuff. One that I remember, I remember Bully was one that sticks out, and I also remember um, a movie that I've watched once or twice since then um, called Elephant that they would run on there. Oh that's like, yeah, that was it's sort of very much like a a, a dark coming of age story, uh, kind of similar to Bully, like following a bunch of like different sorts of kids around their day while like a couple of them planned a, an eventual school shooting and yeah, had one it of the like the most very like, heavily based on columbine yeah yeah had one of the most gut-wrenching gripping endings of any movie i can remember watching but was very very powerful again not a fun watch a lot of the no. shit in the, the later into the evening shit that you watched on ifc the less fun it would get some of the the like obscure especially european stuff would get Really, really, it would go to places that I thought was kind yeah. of uncalled for, but... The, um... Oh, shit, what's it called? Oh, uh, a movie that I saw there the first time that I enjoyed. Um, there's a kind of a black comedy uh, crime movie uh, called Employee of the Month, starring Matt mm-hmm. Dillon and Steve Zahn. That's mm-hmm. uh, pretty good. I remember seeing that on there. I think that's also where... I can't remember if it was IFC or MTV2, because I just know IFC would have a lot of, um, uh, they would have documentaries as well. And I th- I think that's where I saw, um, there was a documentary on, like, movie censorship. This film is not yet rated. That's definitely where I watched that one. I mean, that was just yeah. an aggressive, that yeah. was very, very IFC. Um, I think that may have also been where I watched one on the history of black metal. And that's where I first heard the story yeah. of like death and all those guys. I, Cause I remember the detail of like, um, um, Oh my God. Was it Euronymous? The guy who uh, committed suicide. Yeah. And then they collected the piece of his skull and made necklaces out of it. I fi- that, I think no, that was, was on that IFC. Was, that was dead. That did that. That was Euronymous, dead. That that, Euronymous yeah. was Varg Vikernes, I think. Um, Euronymous wasn't Varg Vikernes. No, that was the guy Varg killed. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Because um, that, that seems like that could have been, like, MTV2, but I don't think they could have gotten away with showing <laughs> right. all the shit that was in that documentary. So, um, yeah, just an interesting little little flashback to a period of time that just is never going to be recreated in any way, which is me being 15 years old and, and sleep-deprived and just finding the weirdest shit I can watch on TV at 1 a.m., um, but 
a lot of it sucked, but uh, I also got to watch Bully, which was pretty good and is a crazy ass story. Yeah. Um, the reality of which is is every bit as crazy. So that brings us to a uh, fittingly crazy ass episode of Here's a Guy. Um, let's wrap this thing up. Let's start by doing what we always do. Let's go around the horn and hawk our shit. Cody, where can the people find you? Um, you can find me first of all uh, over on Twitter. I am at Son of Gravy for twenty sixty nine. You can find me on Blue Sky at Drowned in Gravy. You can find me uh, right here every week on Here's a Guy on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. And finally, you can find me uh, doing fun Here's a Guy-related and adjacent shit on our Patreon. Um, It's just five bucks a month, so subscribe, and you get all kinds of fun bonus stuff. Um, Also, if you don't, I'm going to uh, start a rumor that you're a furry. but if you are a furry and you're proud of that you should subscribe to the patreon anyway it's uh um yeah then i'll then uh, i'll just then i'll just be telling gassing you up telling everybody hey they're a furry yeah if if you're a furry and you don't subscribe cody's gonna tell all your uh actually not a furry and you're not into everything that's happening (laughs) he's a poser poser. yeah Uh, Jack John, where can the people find you? furry scene for <laughs> Jack John, where can the people find you? Uh, people can find me on Twitter at Papa underscore Jack John. Find me on my personal Twitch page, Jack John. Uh, come check it out. I'm doing a bunch of dumb shit uh, Tuesdays and Wednesdays. We just speed ran the B movie game. So if you if you want to see right. what that's about, sounds uh, like shit. It is. It is an absolute <laughs> shit game, but it was a ton of fun to play. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Turpin for Prez. Uh, find me on Blue Sky at Turpin for Prez as well. Follow the podcast account. It's at Here's a Guy Pod. Uh, we have a mailbox as well. Here's a mailbox at gmail.com. Send us whatever you like, um, and we will more likely than not read it on the show. The odds are in your favor. Also, want to mention um, it's almost March, and that means that the second edition of March Hagness is on the horizon. Um, I think we can go ahead and commit to this. We don't know what day this is going to drop. Um, the field has partially been set and, um, the committee is busy at work, um, ranking and, uh, seating our entries. You will first be able to hear of the brackets over on our Patreon. We will be dropping it over there in a live episode, um, our live bracket episode and dropping it over there, um, in advance of releasing it to the general public. So yet another reason to check out the Patreon. We may have something else <laughs> exciting in store for that episode as well, but we'll just have to see. Um, all right. Well, thank you all for being here. Hope to have you back again with us next week. Um, wait a second. Cody, after all that fucked up shit we just heard, <laughs> we could really use a good tagline. Um, would you have one for us? I do. I do. It was an all embarrassment right. of riches this week. It was hard to pick just one. Sounds good. Well, let's try that again then. Thank you all for being here. Hope to have you back again with us next week. Cody, hit us with that tagline. Don't stick your head into random holes in caves, you fucking morons. Bye, daddies.